Welcome to the Summer of Dreamcast. The next couple episodes are going to be dedicated exclusively to this incredible console that came out in 1998 in Japan and 1999 over here in North America. We're going to be starting with the U.S. hardware, including the accessories, the history of the launch, and our personal impressions of the launch, of course. And then we're going to be going into episode two, where we're going to talk pretty much just all about games, the U.S. releases that came out. Episode three is going to be all about Japanese hardware and Japanese exclusive games. And there's also going to be some European exclusive releases in there as well. And then the final episode is going to be all about homebrew modifications and upkeep to make sure that your console is running as good as ever and going into the next nine years. So let's get into it. And scattered throughout are going to be impressions from multiple people throughout the industry, whether it be on the the journalism side or the development side, just people that love the Dreamcast and want to talk more about the Dreamcast. I'm all for that. And as always, I really appreciate it. If you do enjoy this show, if you want to continue to support this show going forward, become a patron at patreon.com slash backmyplay. You can start at just a dollar per episode. That really adds up if a lot of people do jump on board and help me produce these shows so I can deliver this every single week going forward. Thank you so much to all the current Patreons out there. And don't forget to stick around because you guys get a bonus 20-minute segment with Greg and myself at the end. Thank you so much. Let's kick it off. Welcome back to Back in My Play. My name is Kevin Larrabee, and just like we did with the Sega Saturn, we are going to school you guys on the other 3D Sega console, and we're not talking about 32X. I did a little bit. Didn't do it very well. I'm talking about the Sega Dreamcast, and of course, I'm talking Sega. So I have Greg Stewart of not just the Player One podcast, but Generation 16, a video show about the Sega Genesis. Hi. Hi. I'm, I'm happy to be back. Love to talk about Sega. Let's talk about Sega. All right. So here's the deal. And I'm going to outline this a little bit because this was going to be, like, oh, yeah, let's do like what we did with the Sega Saturn, but let's do it with the Dreamcast. And then I started making an outline for this and thinking about, all right, I want to make the best show possible. So what am I going to do to make sure I pay respects to the Sega Dreamcast and I make sure it lives on the way that it should going forward? So... I started outlining two episodes. That turned into four episodes. This is now turned in from four episodes into five episodes with a sprinkled in segment, which I'm going to do throughout the series that we do with insights from people that uh, were either in the industry, uh, in the journalism side, or actually working at Sega at the time that the Dreamcast was coming out, or like a little bit in between, also some retail stuff as well. So I've been putting out a bunch of emails because I want to make this the one-stop shop for everything that you need to know about the Sega Dreamcast in 2016. How does that sound? I would listen to that. Me too. And that's the whole point. Like this show is, I always, I talk to people all the time. I try to make the show that I would want to listen to. And the way that we're doing this is, uh, is starting out with Sega Dreamcast 101. We're starting on the U.S. side of things, because, hey, believe it or not, I'm in the United States. Greg, you're kind of in the United States, but you're just a little bit above us. But you had like the same kind of setup that we had. So let's just call it the North American launch. All right. Is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. Did you guys get it on 9999 in Canada as well? 
Okay. Yes. So, so we're let's just say United States. The same same thing. Um, so this episode is going to be mostly focused on the hardware, the accessories, and the games that you must own in 2016 for the Sega Dreamcast. We're going to hit on a ton of games because what you'll find is with this system, there weren't a lot of games for it. But the games that did come out for the Sega Dreamcast, they were almost the majority of them were very, very good to great to excellent. Okay, um, this this wasn't a, a a PlayStation where half of it was shovelware garbage. There was so many classic franchises that started sometimes were birthed and died on this console as well. Um, but we're going to try to hit on all that stuff. Also, I do have an issue of EGM in front of me, which has been great to go through because they did a fantastic launch issue for the console with some great interviews, great breakdowns of the complete launch lineup. And it's just really, it's super interesting to go back and to see how the media was was interpreting what the Sega Dreamcast was going to be coming off of the Sega Saturn. And I'll be real, like back then I had like Nintendo Power. I may have had some Game Pro in there. And then eventually ended up subscribing to the official Sega Dreamcast magazine, but I did not have EGM. So it's interesting to see, I don't want to say what a non-biased magazine would say, but just a general all-platform gaming magazine would say. Yeah, I mean, their coverage was fantastic. And it's funny because really, I mean, leading up to that point, well, at least during the Genesis era, EGM wasn't a very pro Sega Magazine anyway, although by the time the Dreamcast came out, it was kind of a totally different crowd. Yeah. Totally different group of editors. But even that, anybody who'd been in the press or anybody who'd even been playing games for quite a while, I mean, you had every reason not to be excited about anything Sega did because, I mean, they'd killed the Saturn two years earlier. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they killed it in 97. The Japanese version of the Dreamcast didn't even come out till the end of 98. So, you know, it was like it was impressive that they did what they did with that system. But I do remember their coverage as well. And it was it was amazing. It's an absolute massive spread with also some some great photography in it as mm. well. I, I actually wanted to reach out to um, John Davison to see, like, you know, who who did all the photography for this stuff and see if I could talk to them uh, real quick. I don't know if it was on staff or not, but you get some great pictures of, of not just um, John Davison, but also. Our, our friend, Chris Johnston, a, yep. a very young Chris Johnston is yeah. in these photos as well um, with some some great facial expressions and looking like he is he is really digging the, the Sega Dreamcast. But this is stuff that is brought up in that issue as well, where it, it was it was totally known. And I actually went and uh, watched some old episodes of GameSpot TV uh, with Adam Sessler, believe it or not. Wow. And he interviewed uh, people like Peter Moore. He interviewed... Uh, at the time at GameSpot, uh, Jeff Gersman talking about you know what the the thoughts were on the Dreamcast, and again a lot of the same things are echoed. Like, hey, you know, you're coming off of the Sega Saturn, you're coming off of huge flops, the Sega CD and the 32X, mm-hmm. and I mean the 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 way that I guess a lot of the journalists were setting up is like you basically need to have like a perfect launch for this to even have a shot, and it did. Uh, it, it did have a perfect launch. And it didn't didn't succeed, but uh, we'll get into all that. So th- this show's lineup or the this, the format is going to be a little bit different because we're going to be talking about some history of the Sega Dreamcast. But I don't want to get too fogged down on that because again, I want to talk about some memories and I want to give you guys some useful useful information today. We could spend forever talking about the Yamaha audio engine that's built into that thing. We could talk forever 
about the battery backup or the 16 megabytes of main RAM and the eight megabytes of video RAM plus two megabytes of sound memory, just to be sure. We, we, we don't need to go into all that stuff, but we're probably going to be talking about some GD-ROM. <laughs> so what we'll do right now is we'll take a break. We're just setting the stage right now. We're going to come back and we're just going to talk a little bit about the the history of this console, just to, just to again set the stage, and then we're going to get right into it, talking a little bit about our memories of the launch and early time. I almost want to say early years of Dreamcast, but like early year and a half of Dreamcast, and then we will go into giving you all the information that you need to enjoy the Sega Saturn in 2016 in the best way possible. So stick around. We'll be right back. So we're not even going to go back to 1999. We're going to go even farther back than 1999. And, you know, like I said, we could get so fogged down into the code names of the Dreamcast, the multiple competing uh, consoles that were being developed side by side to see if we could find a clear winner. But um, I just want to throw in a couple anecdotes. And Greg, if you have anything that you want to add, please jump in and feel, feel free. Like this is just this. Just two dudes hanging out, talking about Sega Dreamcast and having a lot of fun. Okay. Word. So, okay. Exactly. Um, so again, we, we're hitting on the US side of things or the North American side of things for this episode. So we'll get to the Japanese stuff in next episode. So the uh, the name of the Sega Dreamcast, I did not know this until I was doing some research, is a combination of dream and broadcast, which makes a lot of sense. Um, this was from a 5,000 name submission and Sega landed on the Dreamcast. And I, I don't know. I, I remember it being like a pretty dope name. It's not like one of those things where you think Nintendo <laughs> Wii, like that's like, no, oh, the Wii. I just remember Dreamcast. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah, I'm, actually, I, I got to take a, I got to go the other way with that. I, I always thought the Dreamcast at first, I thought it sounded kind of stupid. But the thing was, was that, um, Sega of America, they were really sort of, I think it even says, it says in the Wikipedia article that um, on the marketing side, they really wanted to sort of recapture what Sega of America had done mm-hmm. during the Genesis years with the Sega Scream and all that stuff. And, you know, because they got really, Sega got really weird when the Saturn, the Saturn came out in the U.S. Their marketing just got strange. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think that despite the name, they did a great job of sort of, you know, just really pushing it and making it not silly you know they just they just brought a cool factor back almost immediately as soon as the marketing started you just like okay i'm in like yeah i I, even those of us who sort of stumbled over the name at first was like yep this is good this is sega they're back this thing looks amazing it looks forward thinking Mm -hmm. like um totally i mean you know just as as i say a lot on my show on generation 16 but it's absolutely true Sega was kind of a victim of trying to sort of be way too ahead of its time in certain ways. Mm -hmm. And like you look at the Dreamcast and one of the things that they were trying to do with the Dreamcast was make it more like a PC. Hell, it had a a Windows operating system in it, right? Um, And look what we're talking about now. We're talking about iterative consoles. 
Yeah, and it's so funny because I'm glad I remember this. Going again, I'm going to bring up some anecdotes from the EGM piece. Um, John Davison did a, you know, he does an editorial at the front of each app. uh, what are those Issue. things called? Issues. Yeah. Remember those things? <laughs> I remember those. Remember, remember magazines? I love magazines. Um, and, and I apologize, John. Like, this is, again, you're, you're in, you got to keep in mind, this is like, this probably would have been summer 99 that they were putting this together. Uh, the quote, Sega may well get more people online than Apple did when it launched the iMac. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that was the other thing, too. I mean, not only did they have the, the wherewithal to include an online adapter in the system when it launched, it was modular. Mm-hmm. Like, it's brilliant. You know, that allowed them to, like the U.S. launched, the U.S. unit launched with a 56K modem. I remember sitting in the press conference when they announced that was going to happen, <laughs> uh, which was amazing. Like, it was just the coolest thing in the world. And I mean, 56K modem at the time, that was lightning fast. Like, nothing's ever going to be better. It was the fastest. It was the fastest it thing was. you could get. But that's not, you know, like the, the Japanese unit a year earlier launched with, I think, 33.6 or something like that, whatever the mm-hmm. next step down was. So, I mean, that in itself was huge. And it didn't require a whole new sort of big manufacturing change or, or motherboard change or anything like that. It was literally just a new unit they had to create to snap onto the side. And the best thing was, was that when you went broadband, heck, we have a broadband adapter. Mm-hmm. And it fits right in where your modem goes. Like, that's brilliant. And they still don't do that today. They don't really have to anymore. But, I mean, it's just, again way forward thinking yeah I, I think maybe the the one misstep was just using uh serial port on the back instead of usb that was something mm-hmm. that was also brought up in sure. the in the in the piece when they kind of they actually like broke down all the the ports and the hardware and the technology that was built into the the dreamcast and that egm issue and mentioned you know the throughput of serial port is not very very fast so uh, even if you're going to hook up like maybe, I don't know, like a zip drive, um, maybe not going to be the fastest read and write speeds where at the time USB was starting to become the standard. I mean, that was something that the iMac uh, was beginning to get known for uh, yep. having the, I remember the uh, like Steve Jobs announcement, he kept calling it universal serial bus. He didn't call it USB. Every time it was U- <laughs> universal serial bus. So um, yeah. Okay. So, so let's, let's go through uh, a couple more things and um you know, these are just fun anecdotes that I found while doing some research. Uh, despite lingering bitterness over the Saturn's early release, Solar successfully managed to repair relations with major U.S. retailers with whom Sega pre-sold 300,000 Dreamcast units. In addition, a pre-launch promotion enabled consumers to rent the system from Hollywood Video in the months preceding the September launch. And this is also something that was brought up uh, in, uh, what what was I... I mean, it was again, it was in more like videos and stuff that I was watching where, you know, people were talking about, oh, yeah, like you could have, oh, no, it was in this EGM piece, like in the magazines, like, oh, you know, up at this point, you probably already gone out to, you know, your rental store and rented a Dreamcast if you could afford the heavy deposit. And before the the launch, you know, NFL 2K will also be available for rental. So you can play Sonic Adventure. You could play, um, I believe Soul Calibur was the other game, and then it was mm-hmm. going to be NFL 2K would be coming right before release, so you could play it before you could even buy the console in a store. Yep. Yeah, and I mean, like, talking about sort of... Um, ta- talking about their terrible reputation that you mentioned there in that anecdote, <clears throat> excuse me, apparently it was so bad that Sega of Japan was actually considering not having the name Sega on the console. Right. Like, that's... and And that's not... Hyperbole. I mean, that is how bad their reputation was in most of the world. 
uh, I would say probably except Japan because in Japan the Saturn was quite successful, but everywhere else, I mean, they pulled the plug. And the, and that was the second time they pulled the plug on a success, well, not a successful, but a major system because when the Saturn came out, Genesis support died almost immediately. Mm-hmm. So I always find that interesting anyway. Yeah, and it's not like we call, hey, do you want to come over and play some Sony PlayStation? You just say PlayStation. So they could have remarketed yeah. it and just say, hey, let's go play some Dreamcast instead of, you know, hey, Greg, come mm-hmm. over and play some Sega Dreamcast. We'll play some NFL Blitz 2000, yeah. um, which NFL Blitz 2000 and Ready to Rumble will come up in a little bit. <laughs> um, so a couple other things that I want to hit on. Uh, one was Capcom. Uh, so this was again in the, the piece that I watched from GameSpot TV, which is available on YouTube. I think it's like the username is just GameSpot TV where you can watch all these old, uh, episodes. And this is a four part episode all about the Dreamcast. And, uh, they interviewed the, the current uh, American president of Capcom and talked about how they were, were so excited because it was, it was the angle where, all right, well, we have Namco and even, I didn't realize back then, like, the press knew, hey, Namco is only making is basically only making one game. They're making Soul Calibur. Supposedly they have a second game in development that we might see later on, but that never happened. And you you just had still heavy hitters of of Capcom. You had Midway. So that's a huge one-two punch. And they were heavy hitters at launch or close to launch as well with Resident Evil uh, Code Veronica. Yeah, and you also have to remember that actually having a Soul Calibur, I think I, I want to say that that's one of those situations kind of like Sega had with um, Capcom back on the Genesis, but mm-hmm. not that they not that they programmed Soul Calibur on the Dreamcast, although maybe they did. Um, but you have to remember that Namco and Sega were rivals at this time. Like they were major rivals to the point that Namco actually supported the PlayStation and it was a big deal because you know they and Sega in the arcades were were exactly were game for game they were making the same games yep. as each other every year for like 15 years so the fact that the Dreamcast is launching with a Namco fighter that's huge because the fighters in the arcade that you worried about in 3D were Tekken and Virtua Fighter they were competitors you know Ridge Racer and Daytona like it just mm-hmm. they had one one to one with everything so it was huge for that but yeah i mean then it was great for Capcom to be on there, and they didn't really need the Namco support because you had Capcom with all their great fighters. Well, well. I mean, yeah, and Capcom had a ton of its success, you know, on the Saturn. Maybe more, obviously, more so in in Japan. But I mean, they they supported the hell out of the Saturn, supported the hell out mm-hmm. of the Dreamcast, and had a lot of success. So you know, they weren't hurt like like EA. Where I mean, the the whole EA thing, which is is well known, is is where basically um, EA said. You know, we would like this is kind of the rumor, right? We would mm-hmm. like exclusive, like the exclusive rights to make sports games for your console. Otherwise, no, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you mentioned before, they were burnt like so many others on the Sega Saturn in America. I mean, EA is not selling their games in Japan like they are in America. So Sega said, you know what? That's okay. You know, especially because we just bought this great sports game developer, Visual Concepts. You may have heard of him, folks. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, while the Dreamcast would have none of EA's sports games, Sega sports titles were made by Visual, Visual Concepts, and they are still around today, or you know, their DNA is still around today in games like NBA 2K. And again, that there, there's, a, there's a legacy there that's kind of interesting. A, like... EA and Sega had a weird relationship anyway because 
EA was one of the first major American third parties to support Sega in the U.S. Um, I mean, the whole Genesis story, Activision. right? Yeah, the, and the thing is, is they had a sweet deal on the Genesis. That's one of the reasons why yeah. you saw a lot more EA games on the Genesis, because they were, they were more willing to take a chance on that system because it was successful enough and their licensing fees were so low. Well, they could make their own carts. Exactly. They could do whatever they wanted on that system. And then it kind of fell apart on the Saturn where the system just wasn't very... Um, very successful in the u.s so Mm -hmm. when it came to the dreamcast it made sense that you know it's like well we'll take a chance on you again but we need some guarantees like we had 10 years ago um which of course sega didn't go for because of visual concepts the other interesting thing excuse me about visual concepts is if you remember um madden football between 1990 and now there's only ever been one year where there wasn't a madden football game yep and I, I think it was a 97, maybe. And the reason that was, was because Visual Concepts was developing it. Mm-hmm. And they didn't, they, it was apparently not good enough to release. So they canceled it. Well, it wasn't so, polygonal. Well, ex- well, it was apparently, but it was just, was there's so a bad. lot of rumors going around with how about it. But the problem was, is that it just wasn't, it wasn't up to snuff. They couldn't release it. So it's, I think it's always been kind of ironic that, the whole reason that Sega said no to the exclusivity with EA was because they had just bought the company that also is responsible for the one year there wasn't a Madden football game. And then they released an amazing football game and they made EA up its game. Like Visual Concepts and Tiburon, like they, for years after that, they sparred until basically EA bought the NFL license. Mm -hmm. But I mean, you can't deny that Madden games got better because Visual Concepts football games existed. Yeah, they got they got better to the point where they just you know decided to buy exclusivity, and then they yeah. didn't have to deal with it anymore. Um, <laughs> I mean, uh, like this is something that I, I've argued time and time again. Like I, I I was at whatever it was PAX last year on Rich Grisham's panel, and it just talking about you know why I fell out of sports games, and a lot of it was because the sports games I wanted to play, especially like the football games, they weren't being made anymore. 2K was making them and Visual Concepts was making them. And then as soon as Madden had no competition, it was basically, and I feel for those guys, they have nine months to make a game. Oh, but, sure. But it's like, yeah, sorry. The the game is not that, like you still have better animations in a game that is, you know, five years previous. Um, it's just disgusting. Mean, at the end of the day, competition is important. Right. I mean, yeah, there's I, I agree with you. I mean, I would never say that the, the people at Tiburon at EA don't work their butts off to make that game every year. They do. Mm-hmm. I've been part of that process and I've seen it. But the thing is, is that you're you're looking inward. Right. You're not you're not being challenged from outside. You, there's no new ideas being brought from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And it just it, it makes you stagnant. Uh, you know, we talked a little bit about the the hardware in the system. We talked about the modem. We talked about the the audio processor. There's a, a great and, and like this system was built to be cost productive, uh, you know, cost uh, reductive. Like they wanted to make it mm-hmm. as cheap as possible so they could you know sell it for as cheap as possible. And they actually ended up putting together what. And trust me, I've recently opened up my Sega Dreamcast in the last 24 hours. It is a beautiful looking console on the inside. No. Not it is very much like almost an uh, an Apple product in the way mm. that no space is wasted and is just uh, incredibly well designed. Um, outside of maybe the fan, uh, which is which is a little loud and quite loud. <laughs> there's a single fan, and um, you know, fun anecdote: uh, you can't replace that fan with off the shelf <laughs> parts. 
Um, and it's not because of the size. It's because there's a specific uh, third wire that regulates the speed of the fan that needs to be connected to the Dreamcast. And that, if not connected, will not uh, the Dreamcast will not turn it on, turn on at all because obviously it, oh, doesn't, wow. want, it doesn't want well, your yeah, customer. They don't want, yeah, you don't want it overheat and catch on fire. Exactly. So, uh, I mean, that's something I've been looking into as I've been refurbishing the one Dreamcast that I have. I have another one coming uh, next week. Believe it or not, from GameStop, uh, which sells so wild. Um, okay, so maybe I'll take one minute to, to talk about that. I, I bought. I was looking at Dreamcasts on eBay. They go for like fifty bucks. Okay, that, I mean, like everyone, it's fair. It's it's fair, but it's like it's secondhand. It's someone. It it's may have been sitting in someone's. Like you don't know. Has it been running forever for the last uh, seventeen years? Does someone use it a lot? Or has it been sitting in someone's like gross basement and like just building up gunk and all that stuff? So I decided I'm going to go to GameStop because they have a seven day return policy. No matter what, no questions asked. If you don't want it, you bring it back and we will give you uh, a refund. So what the hell? I got nothing to lose. And actually, the game prices are better than eBay. Like, I'm not kidding. The game prices on GameStop.com are incredibly uh, competitive. Um, And also, every disc that I've gotten from them except one has looked brand new. So, nice. uh, some some good stuff going on at GameStop. But I picked it up. I got it. I looked inside. It's clear that they cleaned up the inside. They got rid of a, a lot of the dust. And um, one thing again, you cannot really fix is is the fan. The fans will make a loud whine uh, as they get older. Um, and what you can pretty much only do is look at lubricating the the fan itself. Um, but you have to be very careful because you want the fan to be balanced. If it becomes imbalanced, it'll actually make more noise. So, um, yeah. And to be fair, I mean, those, those systems were loud the day they came off the line. Yeah. Yeah. And they've always been loud systems. But I, I, I think what we're seeing right now is, you know, people complain quite a bit about the drive noise and I fixed that. My drive is really quiet now. Oh, nice. And, and, and you should do this too, Greg is, uh, open up your Dreamcast and uh, pop off the the drive, which is actually super easy to do. And all you need to do is get some uh, lithium grease Mm -hmm. and you get like a Q-tip or not a Q-tip, like a, like a tooth toothpick. And then you spread that on a couple of gears and you just spread it out. You turn your Dreamcast back on. It spreads the grease all over the place. Nice and quiet. Oh, okay. I might have to do that because, man, my system is, it's hurting. I mean, it will still make noise, but it's not like, like, it's not, it's not like the terrible sounding noise that we come to expect. And it's going to increase the longevity of your drive. So it's worth doing whether you care about the noise or not. Um, There's actually a great uh, YouTube video on how to do it. And it literally took me like maybe 10 minutes to do. It's super fast. Um, Okay. So, but the other thing that I wanted to... you have some? So just I want to throw that out here. I know I know I keep uh, relating back to to older systems, but totally, yeah. the, the point you made, yeah, I've heard that from a lot of people, and it's true. Like when you look at the board on the Dreamcast, it's just a, a very very nicely architected piece of technology. Mm-hmm. And when you compare that to like a launch unit Saturn, I mean that thing looks like looks like they were bolting pieces on as they were putting them in the boxes, like or even like an Xbox One in terms of its monstrosity and like wasted space. Yeah, like is this there's the the Saturn or the the Dreamcast is just it's just a beautiful little system. It's so nicely designed. It's it's a nice like it's a nice size. It's a, mm-hmm. it's it's got a sort of a sleek look to it. It just 
everything about it is really, really classy. And the controllers were, I mean, well, they might as they basically, uh, they basically designed Xbox, the Xbox controller with this thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like down to the button placement <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and, they the, just and the memory just, and the memory card slots. Yeah, totally. Um, so what, uh, let's see, how, how do we want to set this up? Uh, well, I mean, I think in, in terms of history stuff, maybe this is where we are going to, let, let's talk quickly about our, our personal memories because we'll, we'll just put it in here. We're just having fun. We're just joshing around and, and talking about the Sega Dreamcast and we don't have to be restricted to any previous formats of the show. Um, but I, I mean, I think this is what people come to the show for. I don't know, maybe. But uh, this is probably, Greg, I don't know. I think this is the memory I have the most fond, uh, excuse me, this is the console I have the most fond memories of. Um, specifically because I, I believe I talked to you in the past. I was 13 when this came out, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, I still was not legally able to get a job, but I was able to go to go to the mall. I went to the mall with my dad almost every Saturday. My parents were divorced, so I hung out with my dad on Saturdays. We'd go down to the mall, and of course, you bet your ass I'm going to EB Games, and maybe, like, I usually get, like, $5 on Saturday. Maybe I can weasel them and, and try to get 10 and that could get me a used game. We'll see. I don't know. So, I, I go down there, and right in front of the store is a the I mean, you've seen them. If you've seen them, you know what I'm talking about. The Dreamcast kiosk with the TV, two controllers, Dreamcast. And inside of it was NBA 2K. And I was a huge basketball fan at the time, still am. And I mean, I could play as the Boston Celtics and it actually looked like the Boston Celtics. It didn't look like some polygonal mess that you would see on Kobe Bryant's NBA courtside or whatever i mean the, the playstation had no good basketball games the place it like nba they had live right yeah and it was terrible it was so yeah. bad it was it like it played terribly and this played smoothly it brought the behind the back camera so you could actually see where your play players were in terms of the layout of the court it, it was revolutionary so i was like this is the best thing i've ever seen it, it was the the most impressive thing i've ever seen out of a video game How, i need to get this and next to it was a sign that said, "Hey, we're gonna hook you up, you guys. You can you can trade in your PlayStation any ten games, and it might have actually said on the bottom like not Madden ninety seven, not Madden. Yeah, I'm sure there were exceptions, but yeah, yeah, there, it was something like no sports games. But I'm like, well, I have that, so I'm gonna. I went home, and this is probably October. I'm gonna guess it's probably October. It was like maybe a month after launch, and I went home." Or no, I did this. I said, hey, dad, I know we, we I live like 20 minutes away. OK, there's this deal right now. I need it's like and I probably lied. I said it's probably only this weekend that it's going to be available. So I need I need to go home, grab the PlayStation and the games, bring it back and then I can trade it in. It'll give me a brand new system in a any game. And of course, I picked NBA. So what I did was. Uh, and also I've said, oh, and don't worry, we're going to be, we're going to have plenty. We went to like four o'clock mass with my grandmother. So we'll have plenty of time to get back. We'll go, I'll go to church. I'm not even going to fight you on it this time. I'll go to church. <laughs> Just let's, let me, let's That's do big this. for a 13 year old. Oh my God. I used to always try to get out of church, but <laughs> I did it for my grandmother. Oh my God. Uh, so we, we went home. I snagged up a bunch of games, got my PlayStation and went back left with a Sega Dreamcast and a copy of NBA 2K. And then I didn't go home. I had to wait like two hours because I had to go to mass. Uh, 
And I'm like, it's like in the car and I'm like waiting. It's like, oh my God, let's wrap this thing up, priest. Let's wrap it up. Like I had Amen. Just standing up in the back of the church. Amen. Yeah. I was, I I, I prayed today. I'm ready to go home. All right. So (laughs) I ended up getting home and and I played the crap out of that thing without a VMU because they were sold out of VMUs. They were. Oh, wow. I mean, in the United States, I remember this being like a somewhat common thing is that, you know, right after a launch, VMUs were hard to find. I mean, people were importing them on eBay from Japan. That was such a weird, a weird memory card. We should talk about that a little bit. But anyway. Oh, we do. I got sections for U.S. hardware. I got sections Mm. for accessories. And we're even going to be talking about replacement shells. Yeah, that was a big thing. Anyway. Okay. Keep going. Sorry. Okay. So anyways, I mean, that, that's why the system was, was so important for me because not only was it my first, uh, first system that I was able to kind of get for myself without having to wait for a holiday, um, like Christmas, basically, uh, I, I was able to then get a job in January, 2000 and that gave me money that allowed me to then go buy Dreamcast games. Like the first check I ever wrote was for Resident Evil Code Veronica to EB games. <laughs> it was the first check I ever wrote. So that's, that's kind of weird <laughs> when you, when, cause we've had this discussion before and I know where you say this is, this is Sega's greatest console and I can't really deny that. I'm not saying I agree with it, but, but see when you relay sort of your experience with it, like it being one of the first consoles you sort of got where you didn't have to beg someone for a, for a, a, a present or something like that, right. you know, that's huge. That and that's exactly like what you just described is exactly how I got my first Genesis. Mm-hmm. Was I traded in my Nintendo and you know, I, I saved a bunch of my own money. I traded in some Nintendo games to make up the difference, and I bought myself a Genesis with a used game. Hell yeah! So like that's that's sort of where Wait, my love of that get? system. Um. Oh come on! I, I bought I bought Altered Beast. It was right before Sonic came out, and we didn't have the Sonic. They didn't have the deal where you got to oh, send right. in a coupon and get a free copy of Sonic. Mm-hmm. So I got Altered Beast for like three bucks because it didn't come with the system at the time. And $3. then I ended up. I think one of the, and then the first game I bought for it myself was Monaco GP. That, that was a pretty solid game. Oh, it was a great game. It was the reason I bought the Genesis in the first place. I rented it in, I, with with Monaco GP, and it's like that's it. I got to get a Genesis. I was going to say it's it's on the back of the box, right? I remember it being on the I back so. of my. At least I think I remember. It was being all over the Genesis ads box. anyway. Like yep. all those Genesis does ads always showed Monaco GP. So well, and and this wasn't just my first console. This was my first access to the internet. Like I had the internet yeah. in my room, and and it's. I went back and I listened to the. We did a SegaNet episode like mm-hmm. a year and a half ago, believe it or not. It was like that long ago that, that you, CJ, and I talked about SegaNet for like two and a half hours. But um, that was my first access to the the internet. So as a 14-year-old, that opened up so many possibilities for me. See, again, um, super forward thinking, right? Because when, yeah. when, when did SegaNet launch? Like 2000? Uh, yeah, it, it was 2000 because it launched alongside of NFL 2K1, NBA 2K1. And- and like the PlayStation Two didn't even launch with a modem. No, you had to buy and, it separately. And Xbox Live didn't come online for like two or three more years. Right. Like it's a, it's amazing. Like and and Sega was so behind this that they actually changed the name of the company at one point in the Sega. US. Dot com. Sega.com. Yep. It's amazing to me like how how forward thinking this console was. Um. And, and along with all, like I mentioned that on the SegaNet show, but I ended up signing up for SegaNet for two years. I got my keyboard, I got my rebate, so I use that to, I'm sure, buy more games. Yep. But um, you know, 
all I really needed after that was NFL and NBA 2K1. And I played those religiously online, like to the point where I had like records of, I, I played over like 200 games of each because they would save your records and stuff. So uh, it was just, um, it, it was just an unbelievable, like you said, forward thinking console. And I'm always the kind of person that needs to have like the best, like in at that time, the Sega Dreamcast, oh, there was, was nothing better, not, nothing even close to it. And even what I was hearing about the, like PS2 and this is why I bought it because I thought I was going to get a PS2 but because of course it had a DVD player I wanted to watch the Matrix at home and the 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 dream or the guy at EB Games convinced me to get a Dreamcast because he kept telling me how many problems the uh PS2 was having in Japan like they launched the PS2 in Japan like at that time and they were saying there was tons of drive issues and that you know maybe it's not even going to come over to the United States of course he was like lying to me to sell a Dreamcast but I'm so happy that he did because I had maybe the best two years ever uh, for a console with that thing. Well, it's funny, see, because I started working at Sif Davis uh, in October. Right around the same time you were buying your first Dreamcast, I started my job at Sif Davis. Mm -hmm. It was in October 99. Did you you replace John Riccardi? No. Did you see that? That that was Che Chow. Oh, you sure? Oh, okay. We we can confirm that. All right. Yeah. Um, I was up for that job, but Che got it. (laughs) So they needed one more, so they brought you in? Well, uh, John had moved over. The reason John was leaving is because he was running Expert Gamer and he needed to hire someone there. So he hired me at Expert Gamer. Oh. And then there was a big shuffle after that. And um, because then a bunch of people left for gamers.com, Shu, Che, and some other people left for gamers.com. And and Mark did too, right? No, Mark's, Mark was at OPM at the time, and then there was a big shuffle. Mark and I both ended up on EGM. Mm-hmm. Joe Rubicki stayed at OPM. John Davison moved over to official PlayStation Magazine, by the way, is what I'm saying there. Yeah. And Riccardi actually left for Gamers.com as well. So, Oh, I, I mean, I've yeah. always heard the story that they used Gamers.com to like, get raises or something like that. That's probably Um, true. There were a couple of people who did, I think. <laughs> I want to say Mark was one of them, but I don't know. I don't really know that because I was. Oh, not, maybe that's what it was. He leveraged was really like high enough. Up, yeah, I was not nearly it. high enough up the ladder to know that stuff. Um, but anyway, my point being is that um, so right around the time you got your Dreamcast was when I started my job at Ziff Davis, and mm-hmm. I'll go into my personal experience with the Dreamcast launch in a minute. But you're talking about um, how impressive it was, even compared to the PlayStation Two, and you're absolutely right because the early PlayStation Two games. I don't know if you remember this or not, but I went back and double checked it today because of this episode because i remember us at the magazine like when the ps2 came out the first round of games for that system was right around the time that sort of the second generation of games were starting up for the dreamcast you mean in, in japan or for in yeah the US? In japan yeah and but like the first gen games on the playstation 2 i mean they were impressive looking but mm-hmm. they they were struggling like the, the the system was hard to make games for yeah and they had this weird thing that would happen, and you'll see it in like Ridge Racer 5 and some of the early sports games, especially from EA, is that it would go into this weird uh, super like interlaced mode mm-hmm. yeah. when, when the system was struggling, and it happened a lot, and it looked like crap. And then on the other side, you had the Dreamcast where they had sort of overcome their issues on those games, and you also had the VGA box. So like you're playing it and it's like super sharp. Everything's running at a decent frame rate. It never does this weird, you know, it's not dropping frames and all that stuff. So for the first little while, the Dreamcast was more impressive than the PS2 in a lot of ways. He didn't have the PS2 launch in the States. Like NFL 2K still looked better than EA's game on the PS2. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But um, as far as as as, uh, launch for me, 
I was a big second nerd. I was already well in like 98. I was uh, 22 years old. So I had a job and, and was buying my own consoles at that point. And me and my sort of close group of friends here were such huge Sega nerds. Like we had been <laughs> the Dreamcast, the, the Saturn was dead, but we were still importing games for it. Right. Uh, there was still tons of stuff coming out in Japan. Right? Oh, yeah. I mean, there was the Saturn was a great system if you didn't limit yourself. It was a great system if you did limit yourself to U.S. games. But if you were importing and that system was so easy to mod, like me, who doesn't even know how to solder, was able to mod the system so mm-hmm. I could play Japanese games. Um so when the Dreamcast came out, we were just immediately sold. Like my first Dreamcast, I got in like November '98, um, because we all, me and all my friends, we all pre-ordered or we all imported the system. You could get the VMUs. You could get a what was it, Godzilla? That sounds right. Branded VMU before the system even came out. So we all imported those. <laughs> God, how much? Well, you had a job, so you're like, yeah, you know, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how much I was spending. I know it was all of my disposable income. Probably, um, probably like 300 plus just to import the console. Yeah. So, yeah. And so, you know, we, we imported those and that before it came out here, like um, Virtua Fighter was out and Sega Rally 2 and Sonic Adventure and House of the Dead too. And that mm-hmm. was a big thing. I actually have, which we'll talk about the hardware later, but I already, I, I actually have the Japanese gun. Because we yeah. were such huge light gun game fans because the Saturn was a great system for that. Mm-hmm. Um, that when House of the Dead 2 came out, we're like, yep, we're all importing the gun. We're all importing the game. So that was my – I the the launch was huge. The 9999 thing was huge, but not so much for me because I had been playing the system for a year at that point anyway. Well, you had uh, – you had a, let's – I mean, I, damn! I don't want to go too much in the, in the history stuff, but we kind of have to. So, like yeah. the, the Dreamcast came out a year later, almost almost a year later after almost exactly it did in, year. in Japan. So you had a year of extra time to get good games ready, and that's again what Sega really had to do. They couldn't launch with a bad lineup of games, and this is what they ended up launching yeah. with. They they launched with uh, sorry, I just had it in front of me: Arrow Wings, Air Force Delta, Armada. Blue Stinger, which, you know, okay. Uh, which Blue Stinger was actually a game, and this was an earlier Dreamcast game that Activision actually cleaned up quite a bit mm-hmm. for the, the launch in the States here and did some localization. Uh, Kart Racing, which was a F1 racer, right? Uh, no, Kart, uh, American Open Wheel. Oh, sorry. Um, I'm not a racing guy. I know. All right. Uh, I'll help you out. House of the Dead 2, Hydro Thunder. I know what that's all about. Um, mm-hmm. King of Fighters 99, Marvel vs. Capcom, Monaco Grand Prix. That's what I was thinking of. Uh, Mortal Kombat Gold, which is really just Mortal Kombat 4, but up a little bit. NFL Blitz 2000, which I was just playing before we recorded this. Uh, we'll get back to that in a second. NFL 2K, Power Stone, Rainbow Six, Ready to Rumble. We'll get back to that in a second. Slave Zero, Sonic Adventure, which was also had a bunch of camera fixes in it from the Japanese version. So they ended up improving these games. I got to work a little bit more on them before they came out in the States. So they're even better. Uh, And Sonic Adventure was one of the best reviewed games of all time in Japan. Like that was a huge success in Japan for the, for the Dreamcast. Yeah. Soul Calibur, of course, and Soul Fighter, which is, I'm sure they were praying, please, Soul Calibur is going to get great reviews. Hopefully they buy this game by mistake, but they probably didn't. Um, I've never heard of some of these games you're talking about. <laughs> oh, I, well, I, I mean, I remember seeing them just because, like, it was what I was always staring at in terms of, like, oh, man, like, what could I do to kind of, you know, get a used copy of this game? What could I trade in to, to make it work? Mm-hmm. But, um, I mean, the this is commonly known, but it's worth bringing up in case you haven't heard. Uh, in 
uh, specifically Ready to Rumble and NFL Blitz 2000 um, had audio issues uh, when they mm-hmm. launched um, to the point where, again, this is actually a, a somewhat infamous scene where um, Jeff Gersman was on Good Morning America showing off, showing not showing off the Dreamcast, but he was there to talk about it. So um, Diane Sawyer ended up playing some Ready to Rumble boxing and the audio issues started popping up <laughs> right in the middle of a nationally broadcasted new show, um, which was not very good for, for Sega. I don't think anyone ever cared, but they ended up needed to quickly reissue these games with a huge sticker on it that said uh, new. Yeah. And, uh, but it was, it was all right. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, you're going to have, you're going to have sort of glitches on any console launch and that was theirs. But I mean, the thing is, is that like you just went through all those games. There was something like 19 games on launch day on September 9th. Yeah. Something like 19. And they were across like, and it wasn't just Sega. Like, oh, Greg, Midway. I forgot to scroll down. I, oh. There's more. Yeah, see. S- Speed Devils. You're that right was, there. yep. Yeah. Uh, huge, huge for me. Oh, this is, this, this basically, this is why systems went out the door. TNN Motorsports <laughs> Hardcore Heat. By uh, ASC Games. Yep. Um, Tokyo Extreme Racer and Trick Style. Mm-hmm. Which was a um, uh, made by the burnout guys, and and also in September you had like uh, Jeremy McGrath Supercross, you had mm-hmm. Marvel vs. Capcom, Sega Bass Fishing with that awesome controller, mm-hmm. uh, Time Stalkers, which yeah, but it was there. Toy Commander, which was pretty good by no cliche. Yeah, people, a lot of people love Toy Commander. Yeah, I mean the the thing is, is that in the first month you had you had like almost thirty games to choose from. Mm-hmm. And there was some really good stuff. And there was every genre. There, you had two NFL games. You had racing games. You had fighting games. You had different kinds of fighting games. You had a Sonic game, which, again, something they really screwed up on the Saturn, and they fixed it right on day one mm-hmm. on the Dreamcast. Yeah, NBA uh, 2K was also October. I mean, again, that's that's what got me to to, to buy that console. But yeah, um, I, we forgot to mention, you know, the console that was so far ahead of its time that it actually supported a 640 or excuse me a 480 640 by 480 p output you could actually mm-hmm. output through vga from day one and some of the launch games supported it, like you know sonic adventure there's there's even um i mean i was going to talk about, i'm sure i'll talk about this in the later episodes but you know there are some games that you really uh, you actually just need to like open up the disc image go into a hex editor and change a couple values and then it will also support vga not all the games support a vga but a large majority of majority of them did. Most of the first party games, or I should say, all the first party games did. And you now, unfortunately, there's just kind of like some big games like NBA Showtime does not, unless you you know go and change the hex, and then you have to reburn it uh, onto a CD, even if you own it, which is a shame. But um, there, there's just uh, so many great things uh, about this console, and I'm so happy that it exists. <laughs> oh yeah no absolutely it, it, and that's that still holds up as one of the best launch lineups ever even if you're talking about stuff that you know i mean no one's no one's got great well i shouldn't say no one but almost no one's talking about like cart flag to flag right you know although that was a sega game um sega racers are always good and you know like but still just the sheer amount you got to choose from right from the start and you consider that this is a company that burned multiple third parties that didn't have a console on the, on the market for over two years, and yet you launch with games from Crave, Konami, Activision, Infogram, Midway, Ubisoft, like Capcom. 
Namco. Those are huge, some huge names there. And that's mm-hmm. a lot of different companies doing a, on a launch, like Acclaim even. You know, they were big then. So, yeah, I mean, the launch was just unbelievable. Although, again, uh, yeah, we'll get into that in hardware. Never mind. We will. We'll get into the yeah. hardware section. I, I've set it up weirdly, but it, it'll work. There'll be some overlap, folks, but don't worry. That's uh, consistency is what back in my play is all about. So what we'll do is we will take a quick break. We'll come back and we're going to talk about the hardware and the accessories. And then we're going to get into the most important part, the game. So stick around. We'll be right back with that. Right now, I am joined by Justin J.J. Epperson of 84Play, company over Hello. there in Japan. And you're in Japan right now, right? Yes, I am. I, I can tell by by your apartment. Yes. We hang up the, all our laundry indoors. Yeah, well, what's the weather like there now? It's got to be getting pretty It's pretty hot humid. and humid. Yeah. I'm like sitting in my apartment sweating. <laughs> we have the air conditioner on, but it's not working. Yeah, that's what I remember. I was out in Japan for what I think I went out there in June and it was just like you go outside and just, okay, well, I guess I'm going to give up. I'm going to start sweating and it's just going to be gross. No, it's just you walk. It's like a sauna. Yeah. That you can't escape. Yeah. It's, uh, well, I guess it's good that there's convenience stores all over the place. And as soon as you step in someplace, you get blasted with AC. So I I just like negative 20 degree air conditioning in every building you walk into but, but, thankfully well, well maybe that's why i still don't get and i don't know how people do it in japan but even i was just there in was i was there in march and there were still some days where it was like over 70 degrees but people were dressed in like winter coats and like complete it might might as well have been like negative 30 out it's a it's a it's a it's a schedule thing so like <laughs> in trains, they they only turn on the air conditioner after a certain date, even mm-hmm. though it's like 90 degrees outside. They're like, well, it's not, it's not you know, July 1st, guys. We're not going to turn on the air conditioner. So Jeez. people like they won't change out their outfits until a certain date. And then that that's why sense. you're stuck with people wearing really inappropriate clothing during the transitional seasons like spring and well, it's like I'm the butthead that has uh, that's wearing shorts. Like I'm yeah. just like the gaijin that's wearing shorts and a t-shirt, where everyone else is wearing like you know winter coats and yes. hats and all that stuff and umbrellas, of course. If there was a Japanese Jeff Foxworthy, yes, his his you might be a gaijin joke would start with <laughs> wearing shorts. Love it. Um, well, we we are here because this is going to be interstitched in the the series, the Summer of Dreamcast that's running on back in my play. I'm probably cutting in on the first episode so far where we talked about the launch of the Sega Dreamcast with Greg Stewart. And now I, I, the series is all about just talking to as many people as possible, getting the memories. And um, you are one of the people over in Japan, or I guess at, at A4 Play, that, that is constantly having to defend the Sega, uh, the Sega yes. brand and the Sega name. So yeah. I, I, I want to, to get your memories and I'm going to talk to, to John as well, but um what 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 are your memories yeah. of of the what are your memories of the 
the Dreamcast. Did you get one at launch and did you yes. did you hold on to it until the end? I did. I so I was a Sega fan ever since the Genesis. I like Sonic wooed me over to the Sega side from Nintendo. And I was basically a Sega faithful. I owned a Game Gear. I had a Genesis. I didn't get a 32X or a Sega CD because my parents wouldn't let me. <laughs> but like I wanted them. <laughs> I you know, I was like a Sega kid. And um around the time of the Dreamcast, actually, if you go back a couple of years, around 1994, 1995 was like the beginning of the internet boom. Mm-hmm. So a lot of us Sega fans started to kind of uh develop a community online um, in around like IRC or where I was palace. It's this other, like a, it was like an avatar chat room and Mm -hmm. uh, next generation magazine and uh, game players magazine. They had their own palace chat rooms. And um, basically we would all, you know, go there and we would talk and it would just, it was constant console wars, the Sega fans versus the Nintendo kids because they were children. Let's, mm-hmm. let's put that out there. And then, you know, like Sony Mario people. Games. Yeah, exactly. And then there was like the Sony people who were always like, yeah, our console is the best, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So like we went through, you know, the Genesis era was good for Sega fans because we had the Mortal Kombat with the blood and all that stuff. But when it came mm-hmm. to the 32-bit era with the Saturn, like we could claim 2D superiority. But when it came to 3D games, it was like, I mean, you remember, well, maybe, I don't know, the original Virtual Fighter 1 and Daytona for mm-hmm. Sega Saturn were total garbage. Yep. Um, uh, you know, they corrected that with Virtual Fighter Remix and then later uh, 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 like Sega Rally and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But the Saturn was like a really dark time to be a Sega fan. Mm-hmm. Um, so when rumors of the Dreamcast started to come out, uh, it was uh, back when Sega was courting, it was like Power VR and NVIDIA or something like that. So there were two different rumors going around and like, you know, everybody was like, oh, it's going to be this crazy machine. It's going to be able to play Model 3 games. Well, so perfectly. the rumors were out like back then about like the competing console designs? Yeah, it was. It was yeah, that was the big rumor. So it's it started with um, there was going to be a, a Saturn add-on. Yep. And then, then the two Dreamcast rumors started to, to circulate. Um, eventually, you know, we found out about the Dreamcast. Um, yeah, it was uh, like, you know, we finally were getting our chance to, to shine and Sega was back on the map. Mm-hmm. And the graphics at the time were amazing. The demos that they showed were amazing. Um, and so it was like a time where Sega was starting to do things the right way. And, um, it kind of, the hype just started to build and build and build. And it all kind of accumulate, like it, it basically, uh, well, I guess accumulated when, uh, Sega, they had this commercial that aired on MTV. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like a minute long commercial that was like basically the Apple 1984 commercial for video games mm-hmm. um, where it was like they unveiled the It's Thinking ad campaign and, uh, you know, it basically was like kind of ushered in the the that era of video gaming, including mm-hmm. the PS2 and the uh, GameCube. Um, but, you know, the games looked amazing and, and, and we had seen online that you know, Virtua Fighter was almost almost perfect, uh, and there were a lot of really awesome looking games. And um, 
yeah, the hype was just so ridiculous at the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, I told my teachers before it came out, I told my teachers, you know, September 9th, I'm not going to be at school. The Dreamcast (laughs) is coming out. I'm not coming. Uh, And my AP computer science teacher was like, okay, fine. That's, you know, I understand. You you actually pulled that off. You're able to miss school. Yeah. I, you know, I wasn't a kid who like, I didn't really, at the time I didn't, I didn't, you know, skip school or do anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was close to my birthday. My birthday is September 25th. So it was like kind of, it was close enough that I could tell my mom, like, listen, we don't have to do my birthday later on in the month. Let me just have this day. And she's like, mm-hmm. fine. With um, and uh, yeah, the cool thing about it was, um, I don't know if it was specifically GameStops were breaking street dates or not, but before the Dreamcast launch actually happened, there were a few games that went on sale, mm-hmm. um, and I bought them. Even though I didn't want, like Trick Style was the first Dreamcast game I bought. Oh, jeez! Um, yeah. I bought it like a week before the Dreamcast came out, and I was like, I brought it to school. I was like, guys, I got a Dreamcast game. Look at this! I, I don't even I'm like. Look at this GD ROM. There's there's a gig of exactly. On this I was thing. like, oh my god, GD ROMs. Um, <laughs> So, and like at that time, I, I actually had a lot of disposable income. So, uh, I bought a lot of games at launch, Trick Style being one of them, Soul Calibur, Sonic Adventure. That was the other thing. So, like, we didn't get a Sonic game in the 32 bit era, except right. for like Sonic Jam, which yeah. was a compilation that had like a little 3D element. Mm-hmm. But like, it, Sonic was basically sorely missing from the 32 bit era. And finally, Sega fans were getting their, their Sonic in 3D, and it looked cool, the little orca whale mm-hmm. crashing behind you and stuff like that. It was, it, I mean, at the time we were like, oh my God, it can't get any better than this. Little did we know, the game was not that great anyways. But, like, so yeah, like Power, we, I mean, the, the American launch was crazy. We got Power Stone, mm-hmm. you know, and I mean, Hydro Thunder was amazing. Got a copy and of Hydro Blitz. Thunder right here in front of me. Dude, Hydro Thunder is one of those games that if it wasn't for the fact that it came out at launch, I probably would have never bought it, but it was one of my favorite Dreamcast games. And I'm, gonna was, you, I'm gonna tell you right now, it it holds up. I've been I played a lot of it last night and it I I the thing is this we're recording this after I already talked to Greg and we were doing like a we did an episode where we talked just about the games, like the best games that you need to have in 2016. And yeah. I'm like Okay, you don't you don't need San Francisco Rush twenty forty nine doesn't hold up, and it actually it doesn't. Um, but I, I also said Hydro Thunder, and I said that without actually playing it. And then I I literally played it for like two hours yesterday, and it has a really great progression. Like you have to unlock yeah. all the easy before you unlock all the mediums, and you have to unlock all the vehicles and stuff like that. And it it holds up; it's still a blast, and it looks really good. It runs at sixty, and it's super smooth. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it was just a really fun game. The level design is great. It was very replayable. Um, All all those secret paths and all that stuff. Exactly. Like, me and my brother played the shit out of that game. And, uh, (laughs) I mean, for me, like, the, I mean, everybody's best, like, the best game at launch was obviously Soul Calibur. Soul Calibur was the showcase for the Mm -hmm. Dreamcast. It was an amazing looking game that, like, you know, on a good day, looked better than virtual fighter three arcade. If you mm-hmm. squint a little, I don't know. At the time yeah. we kind of, we kind of drank the Kool-Aid and we we're like, yep, this is fighting games. Don't get, you know, won't look better than this. And like for a long time, they didn't. Um, and like, I wasn't particularly a soul caliber fan, but 
I mean, that game was like, even today, I think the graphics hold up quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, if you you hook up your Dreamcast through a, a VGA out, and like even like now we have the great boxes where we can go VGA to HDMI, and it looks really really good uh, today. And it's still the, the thing that like I kept coming back to is like the gate the Dreamcast is sixty frames per second. Like so many of the games uh-huh. ran at a pretty close to locked 60 which is if when you go back to the dreamcast that's why it holds up so well because you get the 480p from a lot of games through vga and 60 frames per second and that's like something that we're still not seeing like today it's 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 almost like refreshing to see wow this is what 60 frames looks like on you know a console exactly well i think that has a lot to do with the internal culture at sega especially Mm. with their arcade division right was very like particular about having their games use you know be at 60 frames per second and have a consistent frame rate i mean they were like technical gods over there yeah. i mean shinmu was a different thing but i mean at the same time like the dreamcast for all intents and purposes should not have been running shenmu it was just ridiculous um but in terms of like you know arcade style games like i mean that's that was they were the 60 frames per second company and um yeah you had you had a naomi basically board in your house that was capable of playing all these great sega games and all these great midway like this was the last era of great arcade games in the united states from from the like you know the companies like midway and in terms of like sega like the crazy taxis all the great 2d fighting games that we got from capcom and even Mm -hmm. the 3d stuff that we saw uh as well it was just it was the last great push for arcade stuff in the in the states at least yeah it was kind of yeah you're right it is pretty much the the last arcade system almost like you know after after the dreamcast with ps2 and all those other systems like i mean arcades were basically dead so arcade ports were basically not a thing after the dreamcast um Mm. but yeah man that launch i I stayed obviously i stayed home from school Mm mm-hmm plug that thing in and just from like waking up and then going to sleep it was just dreamcast all day long was it uh, was it mostly soul caliber it was soul caliber and uh a lot of sonic adventure yeah but i mean i had I, you know i had like ready to rumble mm-hmm. and power stone jeez uh, you you like what how many launch games did you get i got i i think it was like six or seven i don't remember wow. all of them like at some point, I played a lot of these, like the House of the Dead 2, Pen Pen Triasalon. <laughs> um, the hits. Yeah, the hits. Pen, I mean, Pen Pen Triasalon. So that was one of the first games that was ever announced for Dreamcast. So mm-hmm. a lot of us Sega fans like kind of were like, Pen Pen Triasalon, of course. Like, get it. It's like this ridiculous, stupid game where you're like a penguin sliding on his belly. But, you know... It was one of the first games that got announced, so of course we were hyping it up for no apparent reason. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's funny. It's funny now. Like that game should not have come out in America. Like it, if this was today, Pen Pen Triathlon would not have come out in America. Well, I mean, unless it was an iPhone game. Yeah, and the, the console was known not just for its like arcade perfect stuff, but so many just like weird Japanese games that would normally, or maybe not normally, like today they would probably not come out, or they would be the people on NeoGas saying like, "We need to have this game," yeah. you know, you know, brought over to the states and, and localized and stuff like that. But I remember like I was 
doing research for these shows, I watched a special from GameSpot TV where mm-hmm. uh, like the big thing that people were asking for, like Jeff Gersman was on there saying like, you know, there's this game called, um, you know, it wasn't called Semen, Semen at the time. It was called like something like Virtual Fish or something. I forget what it was called, but he's like, yeah, like, you know, right. we got to bring this, like, it would be really cool if they brought this game Seaman over. And like at the end of the episode, they said, oh, we're so happy to confirm that Sega has said that they are bringing over Seaman. So you're going to be able to get to play that next year. And like, we just, I mean, we see this stuff still, but I mean, you guys localize stuff and like, there's still localization efforts, but that's not only just like games that were localized, but it was just super weird concept that we we're getting from Sega that made this console so iconic. Yeah. I mean, at the time you could make those weird games and get away with it. I think mm-hmm. nowadays, like nobody likes to take chances. And if you find a game like that, it's, it's probably a free to play thing on iPhone. But even then, like a game like Seaman is just, it's so like, I mean, why would you make that? Who, who does that appeal to? But at the same time, like the game was fascinating and weird out there. And you, it's, that's kind of, it was kind of scary. Like I remember the, the day I quit, playing seaman mm-hmm. was uh after he like threatened to kill my family <laughs> wait are you serious okay i've, yeah, never, I've like, never really like played it all this information on me and he was like you know like oh okay well like it just it just seemed like he, he turned evil or something and i was just like nah nah seaman me and you we gotta break up go into the vmu delete that save exactly yeah delete his just, memories yeah well that's the other thing like the vmo vmu concept was just so out there and and you know the implementation was terrible but at the same time it was one of those things where sega was just yeah exactly it's like you know it's known more for the sound it makes when it's out of battery than what you can actually do with it yeah it's uh i mean you mean this sound oh i was trying i was trying there it is aka the real dreamcast boot up (laughs) yeah i mean it's amazing that today there's so much extra stock left over from the dreamcast in 2016 i can go on amazon.com and buy a vmu for six dollars and like 70 cents buy those now because it's not going to be long before they'll cost 20 30 dollars i know i'm going to start giving those out as uh stocking stuffers this year that's a great uh, idea yeah, I mean, for if you have video game friends, like getting a brand new VMU and or maybe like a copy of Space Channel Five, which are like yeah. sealed copies are still like ten dollars. Like that's kind of a if crazy they, if, awesome if gift. If you give them Space Channel Five, they have to respond. Thank you, Michael. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's it. It's, um, it's, it's Space Channel Five. It's games like you know Sea Man. It's uh, the uh, the the Saba de Amigos, the Jet Set Radios, the, the games that really made this console so special. And you mentioned Shenmue. Were you were you a Shenmue fan? Because that game gets yes. unfairly crapped on today. Well, if you were a Sega fan, you were a Shenmue. Fan. I mean, like that game was followed it from the inception on the Saturn all the way to the Dreamcast. <laughs> well, the see, we we didn't really know about the Saturn version. Well, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Way after. Um, we only knew about the Dreamcast version. Mm-hmm. And it was just like the scale was so ridiculous at the time. You know, we were you know, I I can't remember exactly, but I think the PS2 was either fast approaching or already mm-hmm. here. And that was like our like last best chance of <laughs> having something up over the PS2. Mm-hmm. And it was just, you know, it was a ridiculous game and 
it came out and the gameplay was just so ahead of its time. Yeah. The voice acting was terrible. Yeah. Um, to this day, me and my friends still joke about like, Hey, Rio, I got you a job, man. (laughs) All sorts of just all that stuff. But I mean, it was just such a weird and cool game that, Mm. uh, you know, it was, it was, it was uniquely Sega, like Jet Set Radio. And like you mentioned, Samba de Amigo, like there are so many games on the Dreamcast that I have like these distinct memories about like Samba de Amigo. I had sprained my ankle was on cr- crutches <laughs> and I, and, and so I was in college at the time. I was a freshman in college and I went to the university of, Ten- of Tennessee, Knoxville, which is a huge college football town. Basically everything stops on Saturdays when the balls are playing mm-hmm. and I lived on campus and I went to go, it was a Saturday. I was on crutches during a football game. There's no parking on campus anywhere. Mm-hmm. I drove to the mall like a like hob- hell. I drove and hobbled to the mall, <laughs> bought San de Amigo, drove back, and like you know, I parked maybe like a mile away from my my dorm because there was no parking. Mm-hmm. And like I'm hobbling with a San de Amigo box in my my arm, and like as I'm walking by, this girl that I knew from high school was like she ran into me i mean not like actually running into me but we like ran into each other and she was like what are you doing and i'm like i got this game (laughs) i gotta go home and play this game it's got maracas and stuff and she just looked at me like i was a crazy person uh but i finally got it home and i like you know i get it into my room and i'm like on one leg playing samba de amigo with my my dorm room open and like all these people start walking by and like oh man what is that and like you know we had this like samba de amigo party Mm -hmm in my dorm while I'm just sitting there like I can't stand anymore. <laughs> so good. It was like the original guitar hero, man. Like it that was, was, that was, was a great like, game. It was a super fun game and just crazy out there. Like the visuals were cr- like someone was on some crazy LC, you know, uh, LSD and just, yeah, someone was, someone had some kind of supplier at Sega Japan to, to hand out these, these drugs because that's how all these games seem to have gotten made. Yeah, I mean, Res was clearly yep. the result of drugs. Uh, <laughs> Res, and even like if you look at, um, you mentioned it before, but well, maybe not Jet Set Radio. Like Jet Set Radio is a game that um, I, I always go back to, and I think that is a game that does also. It kind of unfairly gets beat up on a little bit today because yeah, you only have one analog stick, sure, um, and the camera can be a little bit of a pain in the butt, but. Uh, again, yeah. in terms of like ahead of its time with the cell shading and just like the, the beautiful art style of that game is something that um, still really hasn't been matched, I don't think, in terms of a complete package of music, graphics, and uh, art design. It was that, yeah. So Jet Set Radio was a fun um, moment in Sega fan history because at the time, so they had E3 at the time, but you know, we didn't have live streams or anything. Mm. Back in my day, we didn't have live streams and stuff like that. <laughs> so like we, we, when we first heard about Jet Set Radio, it was only through text. Mm-hmm. So it was like, oh my God, it's this game that looks like a cartoon and it's crazy. And we, we everybody's just like, what the fuck does that even mean? And, um, and so like when the first pictures, pictures like low res video and low res pictures started hitting the net, Everybody was freaking out, like, oh, my God, it's like a cartoon. You can mm-hmm. play a cartoon. And then, like, we heard the music, and it was just like, it's. I mean, it's one of those games that is just, it's not just 
like an interesting game or whatever. It's cool. Like that's, yeah. you don't, you don't make cool games like that these days. Um, and it's funny because now I, you know, I, I live in Tokyo and I work in Shibuya every day and mm. like, it's like everywhere I go, it's Jet Set Radio. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that maybe is why this console was so, uh, so important to me is because of games like that and games like Shenmue that let me kind of take a virtual trip to Japan as a 13 year old. And I mean, it totally fueled my desire to want to get there. And that's why I've been there eight times in the last, whatever, couple of years. But, um, and it's, you know, it's pretty accurate. It basically is jet set radio. Once you get off the plane and away from the airport and you start getting into Tokyo, it's kind of the, kind of the same thing. Just, Maybe not as cell shaded, <laughs> right? Not as colorful. Not a lot it of. Is, well, it is colorful of, though. Yeah. Um, there's there's a there is a lot of graffiti too. So yeah. yeah. Maybe just, <laughs> no rollerbladers though. Yeah, cops. You know, shooting children in the face with revolvers uh, <laughs> when they're spray painting and stuff like that. That was again. It was it was a very very weird game. But I, I think when when it comes when the more that I've talked about this console with people, I think it just had so much heart where I think the PlayStation mm-hmm. 2 just felt like cold and calculated and this was just an adventurous console that they they did their best they did their best in you know maybe not so much in Japan with the launch was really rough rough there but yeah. uh, in America like they they did everything they could they threw everything against the wall in terms of bundles in terms of pricing in terms of competition uh, I mean the the internet stuff did you ever did you get online with your Dreamcast oh, of course I Fantasy Star online you had the broadband I, I, adapter right I did have a broadband yeah. adapter. Um, I only <laughs> used it like once or twice, but it was cool to have. Like, yeah, I mean, see, the thing for me was Fantasy Star Online was a crazy idea at the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had played Ultima Online previously. I played online games before. Um, so, like, the concept wasn't new to me. But none of those games really did it for me like fantasy star online did because like those were very much you know western rpgs with you know in my opinion really boring gameplay and just you know it was it was fun if you were an asshole but like as a game you know it wasn't that fun yeah fantasy star online was like playing a sega arcade game with a bunch of friends in your room totally even though they were like you know in another city or whatever. You had that your was the keyboard first time. too? Yeah, I had a keyboard. Perfect. Uh, yeah, no. Come on. Are you kidding? I had a, it was a dream. I had a, I mean, uh, I, 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 today it was scary. I was on, because I, I go through obsessive periods where I'm like really into the Dreamcast right now. It's why I'm doing a whole summer of episodes. And it's also uh, why I've been like on eBay looking at broadband adapters. I'm like, $160 for a broadband adapter? That You know, it's... It's what? boxed. It's it's in a box. It's like it's not like I'm getting into like John territory of needing to have needing to have it just to have it. But I'm like, I looked online. There's still Quake Three servers up. There's still Fantasy Star online servers up. Like I could yes. go play some four by four off road as well. Those servers are still up, uh, or people are running micro servers for that stuff. So that right. might be fun to mess around with. I don't know. And I can actually use the web browser disk and try to. I could send emails. <laughs> Yeah, that was yeah. That web browser was pretty rough. Use my Excite email account, <laughs> right? That's what yeah, I had back then. I mean, that was 
it, a lot of things. They tried a lot of stuff at the time. <laughs> I, I, I was, um, I, I've been going through some old EGMs as well. And I mentioned this on the other show, but, um, John Davison, uh, on the Dreamcast issue of EGM, uh, yeah. predicted that potentially the Dreamcast might actually get more people online than the iMac because that was the big selling point of the iMac at the time. Yes. It's like built in, you can internet connectivity. There's three steps. You plug it in, you hook it up to the internet. Oh wait, actually there is no step three. That's how you're going to get on the internet. And that's what he thought, you know, for a $200 box, it was better than what did Microsoft have? Was it like web TV that it was called? Do yeah, there was a, there was a web TV and there were, a, I, I think a couple other things, but I mean, they were all shit. Yeah. It was like, it, I, th- I think I had a friend with web TV and it was like the slowest. It's like, have you ever, you know, like in a hotel? It's, oh, yeah, oh, exactly. It's exactly. It, it like takes 10 years for like a JPEG to load. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, at the time the internet was pretty shitty, but it was like shittier than shitty. So, yeah. um, but like in terms of kicking off like online games, there was, I mean, it was, it was ridiculous. Well, did you ever mess around with, uh, and we'll kind of, we'll kind of, uh, wrap up towards the end. I don't want to take up too much time. We're getting close. And this is what happens. You end up talking about the Dreamcast and 30 minutes fly by. I, I could talk hours I, about that. I know. Um, so let's, uh, I, I want to ask you about piracy because, yes. you know, eventually, you know, it was, it wasn't the downfall, but it was definitely part of the downfall. It was like, you know, people started figuring out, you know, you could basically just burn CD ROMs and, you know, cut out some, I mean, the Dreamcast discs, they had a gig, but a lot of times they were just filled with extra languages and stuff like that, like cutscenes that you really didn't need and people figured all that stuff out. So I want to ask you, did you, did you run disc juggler? Did you, did you burn <laughs> CDs and did you trade and make sure that, uh, you know, you didn't need to buy Dreamcast I games was anymore? In, I was in college. Mm-hmm. Uh, people trade, traded, uh, pirated Dreamcast games. Like it was like, it was like cigarettes at Right, you know, in jail or whatever. Like everybody did it at the time because it was so easy. It was like On literally Usenet, download downloading it. the images. You, I mean, at the beginning you had to have the whatever, but mm-hmm. the Utopia you know, it, boot it disc. It wasn't long before all you need to do was download it and burn it, and then it was playable on your Dreamcast. I yeah. mean, I bought games because I liked buying them, but you know, sometimes. Sometimes you didn't know if you liked a game or whatever, so right. you just downloaded it. It was super easy, especially on college internet. Did did you ever did you import and play Shenmue Two? Is that something? Is that like your white whale? So that's actually a funny thing. My wife, <laughs> my wife, mm-hmm. we started dating like two months before Shenmue Two came out mm-hmm. in Europe, and as a as a Christmas present, she bought me because GameStop was selling the European version of that's right Shenmue Two, mm-hmm. um, and as a birthday present, she bought me Shenmue Two. Oh, that's that's love. Yeah, man, that's it's love like, if I ever heard it. And and you know what was God? It's been four, fourteen years later. We got yeah. two kids and we're buying a house. <laughs> and Shenmue Three is coming out. Exactly. It's like full circle. <laughs> it's, all, it's, all, it's all worked out. So you actually, and that's, uh, that's showing up for me in a couple of days and we're playing that, uh, on the show. Maybe we'll have to grab you if you want to talk about some Shenmue too with Greg. Sure. The myself. loading is terrible. 
I'm just gonna throw that out there. Oh, I know. I, I played. I played a couple hours of it on the Dreamcast, but but uh, I ended up getting a really. This is a cheap copy of Shenmue Two for a hundred dollars on eBay because it goes for like one fifty <laughs> now. It's kind of ridiculous, but that's what happens when Shenmue Three gets announced. All the prices go sky high because you got to get ready. You got to get ready for Shenmue Three because he's gonna get to finish his story. I think. I don't know. We'll see. Uh mm. <laughs> come on. He's got, he's got to he's got to wrap it up. He can't do another Kickstarter. I don't think he can, he's going to be able to grab yeah, this no, again. Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. I can't. I can't. I'm. 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 I've signed NDAs and I can't talk about that. So fair enough. All right. So let's uh, let's wrap it up. Uh, favorite dream. Or let's. I want. I want your fave. This is going to be tough because you didn't you didn't prep for it. I want your fave five Dreamcast games. Your five Dreamcast games that you would play today and actually have fun with the things that hold up in 2016. Hmm. It's tough, right? That is a tough one. I would, I would, uh, just whatever comes to your mind first. That's usually the right answer. The first one would probably be Metropolis Street Racer. Hell yeah. All right. I played played the crap out of that game. Mm -hmm. Um, let me let me bring up a, a Dreamcast game. You could always go to dreamcast.ign.com. Still has their full review uh, section on there. They deleted the rest of the website, but that takes you right to the reviews. I'm looking at the wiki here. Oh, there's there's so the problem is that you run into so many great games, and it always depends on the mood that you have. Yeah, there's just like you know, I mean, Shenmue would be one of them. Okay. Um, Giant Graham was a wrestling game, pro wrestling game. Really? Yes. You really good that? Oh, did it come yeah. up in the states? No, it didn't. Okay, I've seen. I see that all. That's like there's like a million copies in Tokyo. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a good wrestling game, and it was like I I, I started to study Japanese around the time that mm-hmm. game came out, so it was like <laughs> intro into Japanese. Um, let's see. I was like. Like there was like two thousand, I think it was called. I, I want to pick yes. up a, a copy. Giant, of Giant Graham two thousand. That's the one. That's the that's the good one. Um. Oh God, there's copies on Amazon. Thank you, Amazon, for having just like import copies of video games these days and brand new copies for forty bucks. Uh, Marvel versus Capcom two. Yes, that is probably my most played game on the Dreamcast. Absolutely, I played it in the arcades and at home. Like I, I practiced at home to play in the arcade. Arcade, perfect, man. Yeah, well, so good. Um, Alright, we, we got, we got, what is that? We got four? No, we got, yeah, we got four. So we got one more. <laughs> one more three, slot. Four? We got Shenmue, we have Metropolis Street Racer, we have Giant Graham, like and then MVC. I feel like I'm missing something big. Soul Calibur, maybe? or No, I wouldn't say Soul Calibur. What is something that I'd I mean, I got. I, I'll tell you what uh, I have in front. Uh, Skies of Arcadia, of course. Of course, there you go. Yeah, Skies of Arcadia, man, that was such a good game. That was the first game I played with my VGA adapter. Oh and God, it was so awesome! You must have like had the. That was probably still in college, and you had the door open and saying like, "Hey, you guys, gotta look at this shit." Yes, it was. It was a game that I loved so much that mm-hmm. um, my Dreamcast was starting to act up. And um, it kept crashing in the last boss fight. Oh, so I beat, God. I beat the last boss like four or five times. That's like a super long, super long battle, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, wow. But it was worth it. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and now I'm just like finding the yeah Space Channel Five definitely. Um, and uh, uh, am I like number you, six? Okay, okay, you can have one bonus. We 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 can have two bonus. So you got you got Space 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 Channel Five is actually in your in your top. Yeah, I mean I was just I like oh shit. What am I thinking? Res, of course. Oh man! See, like, this is the problem. Is like you can't have five fair. It keeps it keeps going games. like like sort of the berserk guts rage that I love that game. <laughs> okay, I was I love berserk and it was like yeah. a cool. Well, it had like a great soundtrack. It was a beautiful to- looking game too. Tokyo Bus Guide. Have you ever played Tokyo Bus Guide? Yes, I have. Okay, Tokyo Bus Guide is the shit. Yeah, and that's also a really cheap game to import. It's like ten bucks. It's worth it. Twinkle Star Sprites. Jeez. Best game ever. So this is this is what happened. This is kind of what Greg and I did. Is we just kind of kept going down a list of Dreamcast games. Yeah, because it like the ratio of quality on that console is unmatched with anything that I've ever seen come out. Because usually you get tons of crap shovelware on your yes. NES. Your I don't care what you even on like the N sixty four that didn't have a big library. It's still lots of shovel stuff. And um, this just had. So many, like, if you look at a review, or like Metacritic, Metacritic, there's so many games, like 70 and above, and there's a ton, 80 and above. Like, yeah. almost half their library is like 80 and above Metacritic. It's nuts. There was a lot of, there was a lot of really just uh, games that were ahead of their time, man. Like, yeah, Res is, is you know, Res is in my top five games of all time. Um, and, yep. you know, uh, we had Mizuguchi-san on our podcast. Right. Oh, that was a good uh, episode, yeah. A few years ago. And man, it's just, just like showed up at your office. Yeah. I mean, well, we were kind of friends with him. He's been to our party a few times. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, like now Mark is working on the the VR version of right. uh, Res with Mizuguchi Sub, but he like Res and Segarelli is my favorite racing game of all time. I mean, that was a Saturday game, but just like yeah, he's awesome. Res, yeah, man. Yes. It's a pretty good lineup. Yep. That's a that's a pretty good lineup, and um, yeah, I, I'm actually gonna try to reach out to Hideki Nagamura. Of uh, he is very active on Twitter. Yeah, and he he tweets in English, so I'm yeah. guessing like maybe he would be able to talk for ten minutes about. Someone you know, needs to you know snatch him, and I don't know what the hell he's doing, but he needs to be making more game soundtracks. He just talks about. You know, Jet Set Radio and Jack Ryan uh, and Jet Set Radio feature on on Twitter, which I'm kind of cool with. But he should be doing other stuff because he is godlike in terms. Yeah, of Yeah, he the did a couple of Sonic games for the Game Boy Advance, but I don't know what he's no, doing. He either. did. Um, you know what he did? He did the soundtrack for Sonic uh, Sonic Color, not Sonic Colors. Um, it was the the uh, the DS versions. Um, yeah. Yes. Sonic Rush. Sonic Rush. Thank you. That that's what it called. And that soundtrack. And you can actually buy this. The great thing about his music is it was, it, almost all of it is available on iTunes, at least in the states. And I'm sure it is in Japan if it is in the oh, states. Nice. Um, so you can buy like the Sonic Rush soundtracks, all the you know Jeff, Jet Set Radio uh, and Jet Set Radio Future soundtracks. So uh, you can do you can do all that stuff. Um, yeah. Okay. Mars Matrix Ikaruga. <laughs> Yeah, we should have done five best U.S. games, five best import games, five best uh, you know party games. Like th- that's the problem with this system is yeah. like it's still like in this sh- the games still hold up. Like I said, Hydro Thunder, I've been playing that. Tony Hawk Pro Skater Two, best version of that. NFL Blitz Two Thousand, best version of that in the home. Um, yep. It's just you know you have the best versions of a lot of games and a lot of franchises on this system. So um, 
go and grease your Sega Dreamcast gears because make sure that drive continues to function going into the future. Man, now I gotta go back and play these games. Yeah, well, the, the, damn the, you. But the thing is, if even if you want this stuff, you're in Japan where like Dreamcast stuff is. If you guys travel to Japan, Dreamcast stuff is super cheap. Like it is yeah. still way behind. Like every like Super Famicom and. You know, even N64 and Famicom stuff is getting expensive, but Sega Dreamcast stuff is dirt cheap. Uh, so you can get you can get a copy of Shenmue for like 100 yen, even though you can't really understand unless you know Japanese. Um, <laughs> all right. I'm just looking at the asks. Uh, we can't just read a lot. Bangayo, man. I know, uh, I know. Choo Choo Rocket had the best game commercial of all time. <laughs> I'll have to look that up. <laughs> yeah, look it up. Look it up. The Choo Choo Rocket commercial. Best best game commercial song ever. Okay. We're, 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 this is this is what it's going to turn into is us reading the list, but we've been talking for yes. going on 40 minutes. So that's an extra 40-minute segment for this episode. That's why the, <laughs> each one of these episodes are like... I'm literally, I think I'm going to have 12 hours of Dreamcast programming for, for the summer, which is, it's it's what it should be because it deserves, tw- it deserves 100 hours, but um, this totally. is where we're going to start. And uh, all right, well, that is is going to do it for, for this segment because again, it's just like, it's love. That's what it is. Dreamcast love. And uh, we could talk about it forever, yeah. but. I mean, uh, the Dreamcast was, it was, it was part of my like. I don't know, growing up, you know, my last year of high school, beginning yeah. of college, it was me and the Dreamcast. It's one of those things. You guys you know, went off to college together. Exactly. Yeah. Me and me and all Dreamcast. <laughs> um, well, make sure that if, if you aren't already, you can catch JJ on the A4 Play podcast every yes. other week at 8-4.jp. That is correct. We're also on Giant Bomb. So. Oh, that's right. On, on giantbomb.com and on iTunes or your favorite place to download Android podcast, whatever that is. Yeah, we're on Google Play. So, Oh, great. Google Play. And uh, until then, uh, we are going to let JJ go and then we're going to get back. Greg and I are going to continue our discussion in the past of uh, <laughs> Dreamcast hardware, I guess we're talking about in this episode. So, uh, JJ, thank you so much for taking the time, man. This is always great to talk more games yeah, no and... Uh, We will probably have to get in touch, uh, you know, for some more stuff very, very soon. Yes. Thanks for having me on, man. All right, so let's talk about the hardware because in the states we actually got three revisions, and you, and you say what? No, there was two. There was a, there was the white one, and then there was a Sega Dreamcast in uh, Sega Sports Black Dreamcast. But no, there was a third because they actually had a revision of the original uh, white model 
that was then you can see it. If you flip it over in the back, it says made in China instead of made in Japan. This was like the last video game console that was actually made in Japan. And then once we started getting the, or maybe the PS2 was also or the first run of PS2s was made in Japan. But this is like the era where things started transitioning to China for production. I had um, no idea. Well, now you know. So if you, if you look in the back, the, the Sega Sports model is actually made in China. Uh, and also the later ones, uh, these are the ones that would have been on the... And I bought a couple of these. I don't have them anymore. But the uh, the palette that somehow was found a couple of years ago, maybe it was like, what was that, five or six years ago? There's randomly a palette found. And then um, places like ThinkGeek started selling them for 99 bucks, And Amazon started selling them for $99, like brand new. Sega <laughs> Dreamcast were just found in a warehouse a couple of years ago. Wow. Um, do you remember this? No, not at all. <laughs> I'm sure. You, I'm, I'm almost positive I'm sure you guys talked about it on the podcast. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I ended up buying uh, a couple of those. But as you know, I've sold off most of my games and I'm repurchasing some of them. So uh, that that's a that's a fun fact. But as I pull up my my outline, um, you know, again, you have those three models, and then there was also uh, a fourth, I guess, exclusive blue EB Games uh, console that is super rare. It, like I've never seen it. Never heard of it. All right. Well, now you have. Um, it was on the internet, so it's true. Okay, so we are days of future past, basically, where we recorded most of this episode about a week ago, and I forgot to talk about revisions of the Dreamcast. So I dragged Greg back on Skype to talk more about the Dreamcast <laughs> hardware. Sorry, Kicking Greg. Kicking and screaming. I know, and this is something that I've learned more and more of over the last week or so as I've, I've looked in like, you know, again, I want to have the best version of whatever I own. So the Sega Dreamcast in the United States had three revisions. It had revision zero, one, and two. Revision zero is what we got where most of those dates are actually before September. So these are consoles that were made in, um, in August or even July that came out in the United States. And of course, the launch was in September, but they had to make these consoles before they put them on the boat to bring them over to the States. So this revision zero, believe it or not, and this isn't usually the case in hardware, especially console hardware. Usually they revise it. It gets better. It gets Mm -hmm. cheaper to make and it gets cooler, like in terms of heat, um, and it becomes more reliable. That was not really the case with the Dreamcast. Um, The parts of the original revision zero are better than what we got in revision one and revision two revision two actually has its own uh different issues as well if you want to play backup games so revision zero the main differences between that is that uh primarily the drives themselves are are made in japan uh versus in revision one some of those drives are samsung drives that are made in china um also all the revision zero consoles they're all made in japan where some of the Revision 1 consoles were actually made in China with cheaper Chinese parts uh, versus the Revision 1s that are made in Japan that also primarily have Japanese parts, including Japanese drives, but that's not always the case. Wasn't it around this time, I don't know if the Dreamcast was the system, but it was either the Dreamcast, I think, or the PlayStation 2 was the last console that was largely manufactured in Japan? Correct, correct. Yeah, yeah. that and the PlayStation 2, but again, they both moved their their manufacturing over to China, I believe. Mm. So um, this, 
this becomes a little bit of a problem if you want to collect Dreamcast stuff because, uh, as I mentioned before, the most reliable version of the console is that Revision Zero, and I'm going to tell you why. Um, primarily, it's because of the heatsink. It actually has a heatsink and piping built into the console going into not a plastic fan, but a metal fan, so it has better heat transfer oh. from the motherboard and the drive going into a heat sink and then pushing that hot air out through the fan. So that is why sometimes you actually see on revision ones and twos that has a plastic fan with no heat sink. So sometimes it will feel cooler, but the bottom will be a lot harder, hotter because that heat is not coming off the board. Uh, and again, those drives are made in Japan and they're more reliable. It is, it is true to the name of actually being made in Japan is going to be much better with these Dreamcast revision zero consoles. Also, they replaced some of the parts in terms of the the housing for the motherboard with plastic parts in revision one and revision two, again, to make things cheaper and lighter as they moved forward. So you have the launch Dreamcast in Japan from 1998, which actually, you know, those are going to be your revision zeros, but it's become it becomes a lot harder. And we'll talk about this in episode three with the Japanese hardware to figure out what revision it is because on the back of those consoles they didn't need to say where that console was made it did not need to say what revision of the hardware that it was so you are playing a little bit more of like a serial number game uh (laughs) as as you go forward and that's why like i mentioned before i bought a bunch of dreamcasts through gamestop but i actually returned two of them because they were made in china and one of them was a revision two so the Revision 2 is a much later console. And even the Revision 1s, like those came out in uh, early 2000. Those are when those started showing up. It was a very early revision, or I guess, at least in the case of the United States, because of course, like we mentioned, the right. Japanese hardware came out in 98. Um, so that Revision 1 hardware, again, has cheaper parts. It tends to break down a little bit easier. Um, the drives tend to be worse in terms of the GDRM drives. Um, but the Revision 2 hardware was specifically built to get around or to avoid the ability for people to play backups. They cannot play CDRs at all. Well, that makes sense because that was like one of the easiest consoles ever to pirate games for. Right. So that, that Revision 2 actually has specific, um, it had specific things in it that made it, or actually I sh- should say it took out features which made it so it would not play those backed up games. So if you kind of look on message boards, like the homebrew boards, or even like, you know, message boards that go back to 2001, 2002, like the after, like the after dawn forums, like if you ever burned DVDs and like, man, what are the best, what's the best DVD, you know, mm. R, DVDRs that I should buy? Like, of course, the, there was a Tyco Ryudan or something like that. And those are the best ones. But, um, like all the way back then, they're like, yeah, avoid that revision to uh, Dreamcast. And it's easy to see which revision it is because it's a number that's in a square that's kind of right next to the made in Japan or made in China, uh, sim- like, you know, text on the back of a Dreamcast. So it's easy to figure out. And if you are going to buy one, like on eBay, if you don't have that picture of it up on the eBay uh, listing, just say, Hey, can you just take a picture of the back real quick? Um, you don't have to ask, you know, specifically, mm-hmm. Hey, is a revision one or revision two? Because you also don't want them to figure out like, Oh man, revision zeros are actually sell for quite a bit more. Um, but that's how I lucked out. I actually bought two revision zeros from eBay by just kind of doing that and got like really cheap consoles out of it. So, 
that is what you're probably going to want to look out for. Look for revision zero. They're really hard to find um, because, again, they only really were the launch consoles. That's about it. After the launch, that's when revision one came in. It's funny because by the end of the Dreamcast's life, they they dropped the price so much they weren't making any money on it even after they managed to reduce costs like that. Well, they reduced costs so much that not only did they uh, outsource it to China, they were making these consoles in Indonesia. Wow. Right. So uh, that is actually probably the worst version of the Dreamcast that you could find of it. On the back, it says made in Indonesia. Sorry, they don't make the best electronics out there. Um, nice. So you're going to want to avoid that. Or again, if you are buying stuff through through GameStop, which you know, this past weekend, they actually had the Dreamcast on sale for 40 bucks. Um, you have the opportunity to return those consoles within seven days if you don't want them. So that's what I did. And instead, like, you know, I just learned I have to go to eBay and just make sure I go get the revision zeros made in Japan. And those are going to be the best ones that you're going to find for longevity. And I really just need two consoles. I want a backup in case one dies. And that's about yeah, it. Yeah. That's, that's the thing with me too. That's why I hung on to my, uh, my Japanese dreamcast for all these years. So I, it's still in a box. Like I don't even, I don't even open that one because mm-hmm. my American one's hanging on, but, but I have that backup just in case. Um, and, and I mentioned earlier in the, the show, I believe, or maybe it's going to be later in the show, <laughs> that uh, a, a lot of things with these uh, this hardware is going to be about upkeep in terms of longevity. Because like those DVD, uh, GD-ROM drives are not more fragile than CD-ROM drives, really, at least if you're getting one of the made-in-Japan versions of the, of the drives themselves. Um, but what you need to do is you got to work on upkeep in terms of greasing the gears and they're really easy to access and you can pop off the top of the Dreamcast. It's very easy to take apart. I know because I took one apart literally to the shell to paint the shell and put it back together. So it is uh, doable, especially if you're impatient like me, it's totally possible. But, (laughs) um, you know, like I said, make sure that you're looking at what version you're picking up and if you don't have one, it's actually really cool to get one of those revision zeros because the innards are different. Like having that metal uh, piping heat sink actually makes a huge difference because it put, like pumps out lots more hot air and the fans tend to be quieter too. Yeah, I think that's the one I have because I have, well, I mean, I have a Japanese unit from 98. You, but, then um, you definitely do, yeah. But then also my American unit is a launch unit. So I'm guessing it was probably... Uh, uh, one of the Japanese units as well, but like they were really going for broke on that. I mean, that, that hardware was incredibly put together. Mm-hmm. So you can really tell you open it up and it looks great, and, especially considering the previous system. Yeah. And like the more that I've been researching this stuff, there's actually a whole community out there. That's not only about like searching for revision zeros, but overclocking the Dreamcast hardware um, and putting on custom BIOS to allow wow. overclocking on all this stuff. Um, so, the more and more that I've been researching for the series and for the summer Dreamcast, the more that I've realized that there are tons of people that are still super hardcore and they still love the Dreamcast and love messing around with it and still making new homebrew games and still porting games like porting Quake over to the Dreamcast and porting um, you know many other uh, games that would make sense for that hardware. But it is just great to see that it has continued to uh, get the support. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it, the retro console thing is something that I only got into in the last few years, and it's and it's not just the Dreamcast. I mean, I know that's what we're talking about here, but like, it's amazing how much 
time and money and effort people are putting into these old consoles to preserve them, to make them better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, both from a standpoint of, like you say, custom BIOS to, to, um, hardware mods to new games. Like, it's just awesome. There's yeah. so much to get into on any older console. Absolutely. Um, so, well, that's going to do it for this piece. Again, uh, we have more going on on the show, but I wanted to make sure we put this part in there as well. And, yeah, you can probably realize by looking at your phone or whatever you're listening to this on, it's a hell of a long episode that just got even longer. So um, thank you for continuing to listen, and let's get back to the rest of the show. Um, so we, we talked about the the hardware itself, and, uh, again, the, the, the console was – this is something I wanted to bring up just because it was in the in the piece in EGM, but they actually ended, ended up having a whole section on Dreamcast expandability. Like when this thing was launched, there were so many ideas of you know what could possibly be in this console, and like they, this is 1999. They were talking about uh, support for HD TV. They're talking about you know what? Oh God, we forgot to talk about the GD ROM drive. Mm-hmm. All right, that was so, kind of important. Okay, so hey guys, this is okay. We're talking, uh, this is just how we're gonna do it. All right, so there's a 12x Yamaha GD ROM drive, and Sega selected the GD ROM drive media format uh, for the system because you could fit a gig of data on it. They opted out for the more, uh, opted out of the more expensive DVD ROM drive that would eventually come with a PlayStation 2 and went with the cheaper Yamaha. GD ROM drive. Again, you get a gigabyte of storage. So that makes it harder for people to pirate your games because at mm. that time, CDRs were 650 megabytes. You cannot do a one to one copy. But, and we'll talk about this in later episodes as well, piraters were able to get around that by either deleting content from the game. Sometimes discs were literally shipping with multiple languages on them and you could just delete the language like you know delete french yep. delete you know spanish and then you can fit it on a, a regular disc because i mean the space was there they might as well fill it uh just like we we do with playstation 3 discs or like blu-ray discs today so uh again at the end it was probably not the the best call um because yeah, I'm always curious to because I mean, there's no everybody realizes that the PS2 one of the big selling features was the DVD ROM drive because it was one of the cheapest DVD players mm-hmm. you could buy at the time. Three hundred bucks. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, I remember my first DVD player. I paid eight hundred bucks for. Mm-hmm. So, I I always wondered like if Sega had decided to go with the DVD ROM drive, would that have changed things? Although doing it in 98, it probably would have been prohibitively expensive. It would have been like a $400 console, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it it, it was probably, it just wrong place, wrong time, I yeah. guess, for that. But it's it's too bad because I really think that that's, it was definitely a selling point for the PS2. And if you think about the fact, like if Sony didn't have that over Sega, the, I mean, just the hype enough wasn't, was or the hype alone was enough to kill the Dreamcast. So like, you know, I, I just wonder if you've been able to play DVD movies mm-hmm. on that thing if it would have gone lasted longer. But anyway. Yeah. It's a story that we've heard a bunch is that, you know, in Japan specifically, you know, a lot of people were buying PlayStation twos, not to play games, just to watch movies on them. Same here. I mean, same, same in the U S I knew tons of people who bought PS twos as a DVD player. Oh man. Oh, if we could only go back in time and, and change Bert, Bernie Stolar's mind, I guess he probably wasn't even making the decisions at that point though. No. Uh, Plus he was fired before the thing came out anyway. I know. Yeah. Well, Peter Moore, where you at, man? Uh, hopefully I can get him for a couple minutes. Um, 
So let's talk a little bit about the accessories. We talked about the VMU and the VMU was badass. Like that was something that was way, so interesting. It was, it was so interesting. And we, we ended up talking about it on the SegaNet show as well. It's like, you know, not only could you, you know, have a, like it was the Wii U of its time, right? You could, you could yeah. have some data or some information on that screen while you're playing the game. Like in Code Veronica, Code Veronica, you could have your health status on, NBA 2K, you could be having your stats show up on that as well. A lot of cool things were possible. I think that you could you could show plays on it on the on the NFL games as well. And on NFL Blitz, you could secretly select your plays on the VMU and also NFL 2K, so people couldn't see what player selecting on screen. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, that ran on. And actually, this is crazy because right now, like I don't know, if, I have a brand new VMU in front of me. Um, because you can still buy them. Like there's still tons of these available in the box. Like I bought this for $9 and, um, of course, maybe should I do, I'm going to do a live unboxing. All right. So this is a, uh, a green translucent, uh, VMU and yes, it has a tab in the back. Let's see if the batteries still work. It should. Oh, batteries still work. Holy smokes. The beep. And then you can select the date and <laughs> and the time. All right, so this was like not only a clock, not only could you take notes on this thing, or you could actually take notes on your Dreamcast and then transfer them to your VMU and take them with you like a Palm Pilot. Um, but it had, the screen was so small. Though. It's, I know it's so small, <laughs> um, but you know, you like this was this created a whole new market for CR twenty thirty two batteries because these batteries <laughs> last about. I mean, they'll probably be dead by the time we're done recording. Yeah. Um, But you could not only do like, you know, download games off SegaNet, bring them with you, or from just the discs themselves, or raise your chows from Sonic Adventure. Yeah, yeah, like a Tamagotchi style game for chow raising. Yeah, right on the screen because the the for people who've never seen one, the VMU is a screen on it, but it also has a cross a cross button and and two other action buttons on it. I can't believe I'm actually setting the. It's a little console. It's a little console. It is. It is totally a little console, and um, wow, it actually goes up to 2016. Forward thinking. Um, you can on the top. There's actually two uh, a male and female connection, so you can actually connect with another VMU. I do, forgot about that. And do VMU to VMU transfer. So like, hey, like say if uh, you know Greg, you're you're at EGM or something like that. Say if like John brought in you know his VMU and said, hey man, like I I, I made this whole new roster, this custom roster for NBA 2K. You could actually connect VMUs together, and then he could transfer that save from his VMU to yours without ever hooking it up to a console. Yep, nuts. That's absolutely Pretty crazy. Neat. Um, and of course, I'm sure that's what you guys did. I bet you all had like oh, that's know, all keep- we did was have VMU swapping parties. Did you? I bet because it has no. a loop. It has a loop, so you could actually put it on your keychain too, or it your does. or your lanyard. You probably had a lanyard at that time, like in your that's, pocket. Um, oh but man. It, but yeah, that's why I needed to buy one of these, just because it is. Uh, I mean, again, for like nine dollars, like you get a, a a a memory card and you get a fresh one out of the box. It's still pretty cool. Go to Amazon. Go to Ficast Network first before you make that purchase, though. So you know, a dollar goes to the uh, the podcast. So. Um, yeah, that that that's crazy. Like the VMU was was great, and I ended up like I said, I had to wait a couple weeks to get my VMU. So I ended up playing a lot of NBA Two K just exhibitions, or I would like go through um, like a couple games in a season. I'd leave my Dreamcast on overnight, and I just had to continue to wait to I could get that VMU. Um, Those were the days. 
those were the days. It also had um, a bunch of different colors that you get a- get access to. Like like I said, I have a translucent green one. There's still translucent blue ones all over the place. It's a little bit hard to find the black and the the white ones, like the console colored uh, non clear white ones. But you can find those in uh, on eBay, the internet. Do you uh, have one of the uh, multi page, the extra big, the VMUs? The okay, so what are they called? Yeah, there was a uh, there was also a 4x memory card. Um, yes, I ended up. I had I had a third party one by um, not oh. Mad Cats, but it was um, oh my like Performance. I think was the brand. Um, yeah, it was like the, like a checkered flag uh, brand. That sounds but, right. Yeah. yeah. So P- Performance made it, and there was like a a switch in the back, so you could switch between the four basically four memory cards in it. And the thing kept constantly losing data. Like, yeah, it, it those things terrible. were terrible. They were notoriously bad. I have the, uh, I have the official Sega one, which I actually didn't open until a couple of years ago. I had it sitting on my shelf for ages. I bet that's worth quite a bit. Yeah, not anymore. Cause I opened it, but, oh. um, but it's, it's the same thing. It's not a switch. You just got a button that you sort of page through. It doesn't have a screen on it, but it just has four like, uh, like led lights at the top. So you mm-hmm. can tell which page you're on. But, uh, yeah, I mean, very cool little thing. I mean, that, and that's of course that's the way the controllers were built. They were sort of they were built modular, so that you could plug in two VMUs or a VMU and one of the other accessories in the two different slots. Oh man, VMUs are the best, um, and also just the memory cards in general. And they retail for twenty four ninety five. Like they weren't ridiculous, and also the controllers were twenty four ninety five. Like today, where we, controllers are sixty bucks uh, plus, and at least I guess we don't need to deal with memory cards, but. Uh, I remember the PS2 memory cards being pretty high up there to like $30 for an 8-megabyte yeah. memory card. Yeah. Um, not only did they have memory cards, but, you know, you had your rumble packs. Like, you got to have those at that time where mm-hmm. N64 had a rumble pack. PlayStation had it built into the controller at that point with the DualShock. Um, but, you know, you had your rumble packs. And also, mouse and keyboard. Mouse and keyboard were available to play things like... Believe mm-hmm. it or not, the Dreamcast was a great place to play PC games, PC ports. Like the the architecture itself was actually created with Windows CE to make games easily uh, uh, ported over to the Dreamcast from the PC. Also, a great way to surf the web. Great way to surf the web. I was all over uh, terrible websites. So. Um, <laughs> But I, to be honest, I, I didn't like I said I didn't have the keyboard until I signed up for SegaNet, and I ended up flipping the keyboard on a game trading website for like a copy of Crazy Taxi and House of the Dead Two. I think that's a pretty good trade. It was a pretty good trade. <clears throat> um, there was also fishing rods. There were light guns, like you said. The yeah. Japanese uh, first party uh, party version did not come over because it was too effing real, man. No, that's not what it was. It was. Uh- because it really wasn't. I mean, it, it it looked like a it looked like something you'd see at a Star Trek. Oh well, let me tell you. Let me tell you this. I'm going to quote EGM. Due what to they recent know? gun violence, Sega isn't bringing this gun stateside. But chances are, a third party peripheral company will bring one just like just like to the market. In addition, yep. there will be a number of other light guns available uh, from Madcast. Inter- oh God, Interact Pelican. Remember Pelican? Yeah, I remember Pelican. Man, they made some crap. Um, but I think the one that was... I think they're still around. I think they make really good cases. But anyway. Yeah, that makes sense. I think the Mad Cats one was the one that you wanted if you had to get one. Yeah. See, now this is... And that, I, that's what I was going to get into. So, like, the whole reason that Sega didn't bring that gun over here is not because it looked too real, but it, it was because of Columbine. Columbine happened in April of 99. Oh. So, that's what it was. And and 
I think it was just Sega trying to sort of at all costs stay away from getting sued, mm-hmm. um, you know, for for bringing out a, a toy gun. Be- but it's what's weird about it is, and see, this is something that I didn't even really realize until um, until I did some research for this episode because me and my friends had imported the guns and House of the Dead too because we love Sega shooters. It was out already. We had Japanese Dreamcast. We're getting it. And then the, the system launched in the U.S. in 99, and you get a copy of House of the Dead 2, you plug in your Dreamcast gun, it doesn't work. And oh. I didn't realize this until I did the research for this episode, but none of the American shooters worked with the official <laughs> first-party Dreamcast gun. They only worked with third-party guns. Those buttheads. That is weird. And that the first-party gun was also released in Europe. So... Um, again, the reason why I never really dealt with, uh, realized this is because I think I only have one other game on the system that's a shooter, that's a, a, a light gun shooter, but that is a UK release. So my first party gun worked with it. The only exception for American uh, light gun shooters is the um, version of Virtual Cop, or I think it was Virtual Cop 2 that was released oh, in Smash Pack. Yeah. That is compatible. Everything else if you're an American system, your gun, will, your your first party uh, Dreamcast gun will still plug in. It won't work with anything. Yeah, and that game ran at like Weird. five frames per second. Um, oh, the Smash Pack was terrible. That's a whole other. That's thing. A, and I'm gonna crush. I'm gonna crush you right now because I'm looking at the review crew for this. In, uh, they're called issues, right? Yeah, issues. Um, che Chow's in it. Che Chow's right above CJ, so he was not the replacement. I think you were the replacement in that ad. Oh, maybe. Okay. Now that we figured, I'm I'm okay with that. I, I, I if I succeeded, John, that's cool. Yeah. Also, man, like Crispin Boyer didn't age, huh? Man, that guy's no. like immortal. That guy is, uh, yeah, crazy. Um, great shape. Okay. What else uh, do we have? And and this is something that you know I didn't want to forget because it's it's another console that it was it was very much like the console made for the super duper hardcore gamers, and it was better than everything else that was out there. The Neo Geo Pocket Color. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm yeah, with this. because not only did uh, the Neo Geo Pocket Color sync up with the Sega Dreamcast, you mm-hmm. actually could work with uh, multiple Neo Geo games like King of Fighters uh, 99 would mm-hmm. work with the uh, King of Fighters game on the, I think it was called K1 or something like that, on the Neo Geo Pocket Color. Um, so you could actually get special like unlockables and things like that for both the games. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was a really cool partnership between SNK and Sega. Well, and also going back to sort of the old arcade rivals thing, uh, it was in this era, right? I think it was on the dreamcast first, although it might've been on the Neo Geo pocket color first, but either way that was when Capcom and SNK started working together, mm-hmm. which was unheard of because I mean, Capcom and SNK, they were Namco and Sega. Like they were, creating the exact same games all the time like the two, the fighting the 2D fighting nothing but 2D fighting games and then suddenly you've got Capcom versus SNK and i believe that was first for home consoles that was first released on the Dreamcast but i think that's also one of the games that used that link up because there was a version on the Neo Geo Pocket Color mm-hmm. as well as Card Captors Clash or whatever the heck that's called Mar- yeah there was a uh, match of the millennium match of the millennium yep god damn which is a great, great game. game yeah i was playing that last night Oh, I'm going to have to dig out my Neo Geo Pocket Color and play some games. I ended up picking up a copy of Gal Fighters not too long ago. That's awesome. Like all the fighters. You Neo should Geo- do it. 
You should do an episode on the Neo Geo Pocket Color. That was a great system. Yeah, you know I should. Um, and if you go back to episode twenty, there's you about two and a half hours of me and Mike Micah talking about <laughs> the Neo Geo Pocket Color. <laughs> so, Sorry about that. that. Yeah, go and. But it's go- it's similar. The, the whole reason I'm even bringing it up too. Not only does it connect to the Dreamcast, but it's very similar to the Dreamcast. Yeah. In that it's it it's a really cool little system that didn't last very long at all. But for the amount of time it was out, there were some great games. Super great games. It is exactly like the Dreamcast. Oh, man. Yeah, it's the it's same thing. Um, you know, I think they failed because they never got copies of uh, Winback. Winback never came to the Dreamcast. That was, that was a huge system seller. They had no money. That was what they failed. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, kind of running down the, the list of accessories, because there's a lot of them. Uh, there was a microphone that went into the memory card, card slot for mm-hmm. games like you know, most people will know it for Seaman. Uh, mm-hmm. So you could talk to to Seaman, I guess. Creepy um, face fish. Yeah. Uh, speaking of fish, there was uh, fishing rods. The Sega had a first party, party fishing rod for all their... It was cool. It was a super cool controller, and you can still play other games with the fishing rod. Like, you can mm-hmm. play fighting games, you can do whatever you want. Um, but those controllers are, are great. And still, like, a lot of these accessories are still available. Like, they made so many of them. You can still get mm. new versions of... The Dreamcast controllers, the uh, fishing rods, and even uh, the light guns uh, for for somewhat reasonable prices. Um, arcade sticks. Sega had a fantastic. That was, yeah, that stick was great. Fa- fa- it was like a, a tank. Like it was yeah. built like a tank. And I, I ended up buying one in Japan a couple of years ago for like five hundred yen, and ended up selling it for like seventy bucks. But um, I kind of wish I held on to that thing because it was an awesome, awesome stick. Uh, the controller itself. I mean, if we look at the Dreamcast controller, it's not a bad controller either. Um, it's all right, yeah. Although it's it was never. I, it felt like a major step back when it came to fighting games. Really. I mean, I guess it depends on the fighting game. If you're talking about like, especially on this system, because you had Capcom and SNK and they were making tons of 2D fighting games and it just didn't hold a candle to like the, the Saturn controller. Yeah, for that that's stuff. true. Yeah, the D-pad's not, not even close to the Saturn pad. But it did introduce a lot of really cool stuff. I mean, the whole, the whole I don't know if the triggers on the back were analog or not, but they were triggers. The shoulder buttons are actually triggers, which, mm-hmm. I mean, is now, st- again, standard. Now it's standard. Every controller has that, right? Like, um, and I mean, again, the, 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 the design of it is pretty much the design that Microsoft went with for their Xbox. It's you put those two controllers side by side and they're the same controller. They just added two buttons and a stick. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the, the controllers are, are badass. Also, um, there was a camera per- peripheral available as well. So you could do things like, you know, video conferencing if you want to do a business call. And, yeah. uh, you know, instead of, you know, calling people on the phone, you could use this webcam and use Dreamcast to, I mean, I would have expensed that at my office if I, if I could have get a couple of Dreamcasts and a couple of cameras and we can just web conference wherever we need to. And here um, we are there, the Xbox one launched with a camera. So PlayStation 4 thinking. has a camera. My, just my laptop has a camera. My phone has a no, camera. No, no. What I'm saying is again, first, first one to really do that. Hey, this VMU is still turned on. The batteries are still good. Um, You've got about five minutes left on that thing. I know. I got to set the date before the batteries die. Um, (laughs) Also, of course, there were uh, maracas for Saba de Amigo, which those ended up coming here to the States. Great game. Um, And there were dance pads for Dance Dance Revolution and things like that. And I'm sure I'm missing a couple accessories, but these are the real heavy hitters. I'm sure there's some outliers. There was a... uh, 
I guess, a prototype Sega Dreamcast zip drive that mm-hmm. is useless, but uh, there is one out there, and people have been kind of reselling it on eBay, uh, but a little bit too expensive for my for my taste. Yeah. Wow. So that is uh, the Sega Dreamcast hardware and accessories, and here's the deal. We are, and this is this is a crazy thing, we're just getting started with this course, and uh, we are going to go into pause today because we're going to talk about games. All I mean, I'm I'm looking at this list, and this is going to take us at least another hour, hour and a half plus. So what we're going to do is we're going to end this episode here, and we're going to let you marinate. We're going to let you jump on eBay and get some hardware. Go to GameStop.com, order a Dreamcast. Trust me, like the quality is very, very good. And uh, just don't go to Amazon. Amazon Warehouse. I bought a Dreamcast from there uh, earlier this week. Beat to shit. And uh, <laughs> it was, I can't believe they ended up like believing that they could sell this thing. But uh, what we're going to do is, is is we'll pause here. Uh, Greg and I are going to take a break. We're going to actually record another episode tonight, but we're going to save it for you guys uh, for, for next week. So you can kind of let this first hour and a half marinate or so. And uh, yeah, so Greg, before we wrap up, and we're also going to do a, a quick Patreon segment for all the Patreons out there. Um, where can people check your stuff out? And of course, I will say they should be going to patreon.com slash generation 16 if they haven't already and become a supporter of the amazing work that you're doing in terms of preserving the history of the Sega Genesis. Because trust me, if you don't do it, no one else will. They're just going to do Super Nintendo stuff and (laughs) NES stuff and Famicom stuff. Well, thank you. Yeah. And that's where you can find me, uh, generation-16.com. And as, uh, as Kevin just said, um, patreon.com slash generation 16. And that is a web series I have going where I've been going through the release of every Genesis game. Well, Mega Drive game in chronological order. Uh, but also just taking a look at sort of the, the history of gaming consoles, uh, try to do the world over, um, in the nineties. Cause I think it was a fascinating time. It was a fascinating time for video games because, uh, Sega was coming up uh, as Nintendo sort of ruled the world. So it was a really, really cool time. And I mean, you get into the 90s and there was something like a dozen systems on the market at one point. So uh, please go check it out. I think you really enjoy it. Otherwise, you can catch me every week on the Player One Podcast over at playeronepodcast.com. We just uh, celebrated our 500th episode. Woo! Which was, yeah, I can't believe it's been almost 10 years. Uh, And if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do so at Seward, S-E-W-A-R-T. All right. Well, that is going to do it for, for this show. Again, I, I will also plug, you know, it, it, it does help so much. We've had a couple of people jump on the superheroes that are now supporting this show through Patreon at patreon.com slash back my play, helping me make this show weekly. I love doing the show, but it, you know, it takes a lot of time to research all this stuff. It's probably the most demanding show that I do on the FitCast Network. So I really appreciate Everyone that that really values this stuff, like they value Generation 16, like they value the Player One podcast to help me produce this every single week. So I can do things like for the summer of the Sega, I can't believe we're doing this. The summer of the Sega Dreamcast, uh, I bought a $100 copy of Shenmue 2 and Greg and I are going to be playing through that and doing a series of episodes mm-hmm. on that masterpiece as well. And this is where we should talk about it for a second uh, before we do wrap up. Uh, we're actually going to be doing a 18-hour live stream uh, in the first week of September. I believe it's September 3rd that we're going to be doing it. Yes. And that is going to be a Saturday. It is going to be um, uh, Labor Day weekend, I believe. And 
that is going to be all for charity. And we haven't figured out the logistics, or I should say, I haven't figured it out because what I want to do, and we haven't talked about this, we're talking about it live. Um, <laughs> I want to basically have a separate, I want to do Boston's Children's Hospital for my charity. Greg has uh, his Children's Hospital charity. And the IWK? IWK. And that way we can like compete and we can say, all right, well, all right. If, if I win this game of NBA or, or NHL 2K, all right. Uh, whoever, whoever has their money on me, you know, you, you donate to me. If, if you have your money on Greg, you donate to, to Greg. And that way we can make it uh, fun because we're going to literally be streaming Dreamcast games for 18 hours. It's going to be amazing. It's, it's going to be amazing. And why aren't we doing 24 hours? We're not doing 24 hours because nine times nine is 18 or no, nine times two is eight. <laughs> nine plus nine is 18. Hey, have you, Woo. I've been doing a lot of recording today so I can make sure you guys get episodes on a, in a on a regular basis. So um, yeah, that's going to be details. will be coming up on that. Make sure you just keep an eye out on, uh, you know, at Kevin Larby on Twitter at S E W A R T on Twitter. We'll have the details for all that. So you can hang out with us for the day. We can raise some money for, for sick kids and we can just, again, celebrate an amazing console, but we're going to be doing more of that in, in just about a week as well. Fun stuff, man. Can't wait. So that is, uh, again, going to do it. Please uh, go and subscribe to this stuff on iTunes. There's Patreon. There's FitCast.network where you can check out this show and a lot of other great shows, including if you missed it last week, Tom Kalinske was on. I've also uh, interviewed some other great people in the games realm on We Are Recording. And there's just lots of good stuff that you can go check out over there. Uh, thank you so much for, for tuning in. If you are a Patreon supporter, hang out because we got some more stuff for you in a minute. Stick around, okay? Thanks for listening. We'll, we'll, we will catch you next time.